welcome back everybody to episode 14 of No Story Left Behind. This week we are back at the Blind Ninja Studios. And with me, as always, the wizard behind the computers and running all the technical crap that I don't understand is Casey. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and Josh, thank you again for coming back down and sitting with us. My guests tonight are Rich and Rich, Senior and Junior Salisbury. A, and Rich Senior is a veteran of the United States Army, and Rich Junior is a veteran of the Air Force. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Okay. Yep. Forgot to do my homework this week. <laughs> no <laughs> <Thank> crib notes. <laughs> Thank you guys for taking the time out of your day to come down and sit with us. So, Senior, I just want to start with you. Uh, where did you grow up and what was I life was, like for you? I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, born in Cook County Hospital, and uh, was there until I graduated from high school. I, it was rather unique. I graduated from high school at 16 years old. I was too young to get a decent job, wasn't mature enough for college, <laughs> and I was the oldest of four boys and didn't want to be a burden on my parents. So I took off and went up to Wisconsin and worked for a short time for an electrician up there. And then I took off and traveled with a carnival. And I traveled with them for about eight months. And uh, then just before my 18th birthday, went into the army. So what was what was it like for you growing down out in the probably the worst state in the union, Illinois? <laughs> it it was different. The, you know, you can hear all the things about Chicago that you want and and all of the minority issues and so on, but the truth of the matter is in those days in the 50s and the yeah, 60s, it was then. truly a melting pot. I just got to give Illinois a crap the, the, for being the, from Wisconsin. The neighborhoods I grew up in was Jewish and Irish and German and Italian and Polish. Hispanic and African American <laughs> and Polish, big. We had more Polish Poles, people in yeah. Chicago than there was in Warsaw, Poland. <laughs> and uh, it, it, and and everybody was broke. Um, my dad never finished the eighth grade, so he was a laborer. And and uh, my mom worked, and we just scrapped, and we did what we had to do to make it. So you said you graduated at 16, right? Was that just because you're a good student, or they were... In, I was born in February, so in the, when I started school, they had two times when you could start school, September or January. And because of my birthday in February, I started the month before my fifth birthday in January <laughs> in kindergarten, and I got as far as the second grade, and because my mom had kind of schooled us at home, I skipped the second grade, and then in sixth grade, they decided that they were going to go to just everybody starting in September, so they advanced us all a half a year there. So I ended up graduating from the eighth grade at 12 years old and started high school. So what year, what year was it that you went into the, to the Army? I went into the Army January 27th, 1969. I was not quite 18. My folks signed for me. Uh, funny story there, if I may. Yeah. Being from Chicago, in those days, everybody that went into the service from Chicago went to Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. And everybody Fort that Boston, went from Wisconsin went to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And I heard on the grapevine, you do not want to go to Fort Leonard Wood. You don't. No, you don't. That's a terrible place. <laughs> it is. The weather, uh, the guys were stricter there, the D drill sergeants, and so on. So I 
took a bus up to Phillips, Wisconsin, where my mom's family was all from, so that I could enlist up there. And, and my mom and dad signed for me, and I went in, and that day they switched them. <laughs> and I ended up in Fort Leonard, Missouri. Sure. So why why did you join the Army and not one of the other branches? That's the recruiter that was in Phillips, Wisconsin that day. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, that's the recruiter that was there that day. My dad was in the Navy, um, but... Uh, well, a lot of your family's been in the military, like all of your brothers. My, and... my father, myself, my three younger brothers, both of my sons... Yeah, and all of my cousins, all of my uncles, it just was the natural thing to do. Again, I go back to, we never had much money. And nobody ever had the money to go to college. And you went through trying times. So it was financially a sound thing to do. Mm -hmm. And also the mindset was developed that, hey, you owe your country something. I have a quick question for you. So 1969... Um, that um, that was right when Vietnam was really kind of starting to ramp up there. Well, it was, it was yeah. It, the, the Tet, the biggest Tet was sixty-eight. Tet offensive, but, yeah. But the tail end of the sixty-eight Tet was in sixty-nine. Did that play? Did that have any factor into your going into the army? I mean, uh, not really. I was too stupid to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew I just knew I couldn't get a decent paying job because of my age and lack of education. I didn't want to be a burden on my folks. They already had three other kids that we were raising. And so I decided that the best thing to do was go in the army. Hmm. And very uh, cool, man. Did you feel like it was uh, your family almost was or it was an obligation based on your family history or No, actually I I looked at it more as an opportunity. For, for some training, hopefully. And uh, I wasn't sure what, was gonna get, what I was going to get. What I ended up getting was, uh, uh, after basic training, was an eight-week school for a field wireman, which I thought, great, I can work for the telephone company when I get out. <laughs> what they didn't tell me is a field wireman in the military is little 12-gauge wires for hooking fuel phones up. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't necessarily apply. Uh, so, so I did my basic training at Fort Leonard Wood. And where, what about AIT? Where was AIT? I did my AIT at Fort Leonard, Fort Wood, Leonard Wood also. Uh, and with about a four-week break in between them because for some reason they were having some problems scheduling. So for about four weeks I was in a holding company. The Army having problems with scheduling. Weird. And uh, <laughs> then went to, went to, to um, AIT there. And then when I graduated from AIT, everybody under the age of 18 uh, received orders for Germany, and everybody 18 and over received orders for Vietnam. Well, I celebrated my 18th birthday in basic training. So it was kind of a foregone conclusion where I was going. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, when you first signed up, I mean, what was going through your mind? Did you bring the recruiter home, and you know, how did your, your parents react to it? Did I when, when what? I'm sorry. When you signed up for the army, did you? Did well, you they bring signed. Their, they had to sign permission they because did, okay. I wasn't quite eighteen yet. Did, maybe was, did your family react positively to that then at that point? Um, so with the history being there. Yes, they were very supportive. But I had you have to remember because I graduated from sixteen. I 
at 16 from high school, I had been pretty much doing my own thing for about a year and a half. And they knew me well enough to know that I had thought it through. Um, I can't necessarily say it wasn't something stupid to do, but uh, they knew me well enough to know that I had thought it through and that I was trying to do the right thing. Um, my dad, of course, as a veteran, was proud. My mom was scared. You know, all the standard emotions that go with it. But uh, they did sign permission. And from there, I mean, how did you have time to kind of chew on it, or did you ship out for boot camp right away? Out the, out the I, I enlisted on January 27th and left on a bus on January 28th. And from there, I mean, what's going through your mind, you know, if you're leaving Wisconsin, you're going off to a new state? Boot camp, I've heard nothing but good things about. But <laughs> to, 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 <laughs> to be, to be, not boot camp, basic training. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, boot camp's Marine Marines. Corps. Yep, okay. To be completely, I'm going to get it right someday. <laughs> to be completely honest, You'll get there someday, I, I, I didn't have many thoughts running through my mind because I didn't know what I was getting into. I was busy looking out the window of the bus thinking, <laughs> look at the trees and the birds and... And so on, you know. Family didn't give any advice or what to expect or anything like that? Uh, the only thing my dad told me was, don't draw attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't yep, anything. don't volunteer for <laughs> shit. <laughs> don't, don't volunteer, don't draw attention to yourself. Unfortunately, beyond my control, my birthday popped up during my second week of basic training. And so the whole company was called out to do push-ups <laughs> to happy birthday to you. <laughs> Which, of course, made me real popular. Right. <laughs> and, what, I mean, what was the what was basic training like for you? I mean, did you have any instructors that kind of that stick out for you? In, in uh, that period of time, most of the drill sergeants were back, just back from Vietnam. They were Vietnam vets. Yep. And they were also very, very angry about the fact that the draft had ended. And so they took it out on us. When our bus pulled into Fort Leonard Wood, you go through three days of, of uh, init- initial in-processing, and then you get on a bus and go to whatever yeah. unit you're assigned to. And when we got to the unit that we were assigned to, uh, the drill sergeants opened the door, and they started reaching in and punching people in the face to help them get off the bus to introduce <laughs> themselves. Um, that was just the way it was. In those days, they could get away with that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that was just the nature of things. So how, how many weeks is, is basic? Eight weeks eight, it eight was weeks then. And then AIT? Eight event. weeks, and, and AIT was eight weeks. And, and the length of AIT depended on what the school was. Yeah. So um, would you, would you, what was your MOS then? 36K20 field wireman. Which is what for those of us that... Which is what? Know. Which is, what is that in layman's terms? Uh, I climbed telephone poles, strung wire, hooked up telephones, hooked up switchboards, but it was all low-voltage field gear. It was not something that was applicable <clears throat> to the civilian world, which I didn't know until it was too late. Did you, did, so did you select that MOS bait thinking long-term, hey, this is a job I That's can carry right. on? That's right, but I didn't know that I was being led astray. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens, come on. <laughs> a recruiter lied? No way. <laughs> Who would have thunk? You know, the recruiter's going to sell you whatever they can sell you. Right. You know, or at least that was the case in those days. Did you experience any type of like, so 
you had a preconception of what you thought basic training was going to be, you know, because for people of my generation, we had Full Metal Jacket, Stanley Kubrick's movie Full Metal Jacket, which is Marine Corps basic you know, boot camp. Right. But everybody had seen it, you know, going into basic training. So that's that was the expectation that we had going into basic training. But back in 1969, hell, probably early Ermy was probably might have been there with you, you know, who knows? You well, know? The, at that period of time, though, there wasn't really any movies out about the military of that time. Yeah. There were movies about World War II and Korea. But they weren't centered around basic training. But they weren't yeah. centered around basic training. They well, were yeah, all yeah, more the, dramatic yeah, centered around Sands of Iwo Jima and all that. The, the combat yeah, situation and so on. Yeah, um, they didn't have it, anything like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, and and you have to you have to keep in mind too that World War II by that time was already over twenty years old. Yeah. The end of World War II was over twenty years old, and Korea. God help those poor fellas. That was what they called the for, the, the forgotten, forgotten war. war yeah. mm-hmm. They they were ignored. They didn't. Nobody wanted to pay attention to them. I've met I've met guys, a couple guys, and um, through the VFW and, and stuff, and they fought in World War Two, and they fought in both Korea, and they said that the experience was totally different between both. the experience when they got out. When they got out, yeah, know, it was it was just yeah. completely different. You know, right. was there yeah. much media coverage with? with the news for you growing up about North Korea? Because I, you know, me, I'm only 32 and growing up. I mean, well, I was born we in talk- 51. And by the time I was old enough to be aware of anything on television, Korea was gone and forgotten. That's the forgotten. And, or at least yeah. pushed aside, yeah. if you will. Because, I mean, for me growing up in history class, it was, you know, Revolutionary War. And then you had the you know, the brief, oh, Spanish-American War happened, but don't worry about that. And then you get to World War II. This is a big deal. But then oh, something happened in Korea, but don't worry about it. And there's this thing in Vietnam and that's not real important. What about the Civil War? Did they ever talk about the Civil and, War? And here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Because Korea was never declared a war, Korea was never declared over. So to this yeah. day, Korean mm-hmm. War veterans are allowed into the VFW, even though it wasn't a declared war because it was never declared over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. If, you, if a soldier today is stationed in Korea, they are qualified for the VFW <laughs> because it was never declared over. Sure. Yeah. So well, do you remember, some, some you know, I, and I know kind of where I think you were going with that, but... Um, a gentleman that I had the privilege of meeting, actually, and I, you know exactly who I'm going to talk about, but it was a gentleman that uh, uh, was a member of VFW Post that we were both involved with. and uh, But he was a World War II and Korea and Vietnam vet. Yeah, yeah. very rare, but yeah. Yeah, and, and this guy had a service record that was just unbelievable and one of the greatest guys I've ever met, I'd had the honor to meet, but he even said that as those, you know, with the progression of those wars, you also saw the the treatment or acceptance of those veterans coming back also decline as they went forward. Well, that, that's the thing. <clears throat> World War II vets, of course, were honored because World War II, the American public was, was constantly yeah. being reminded of mm-hmm. what was being done. Korea, they were ignored because the news media tried to push it down and push it back. Then Vietnam, where all the demonstrations started and uh, give peace a chance, and so on and so forth, which I, I don't begrudge them that. What I do begrudge is 
they made the mistake of blaming the soldier, the people that were serving, yeah. for the government's decision to be there. Mm -hmm. We well, were just doing what we were told. And it was the first televised war. Yep. And first what? Televised, televised. war. Yes, and the first television where you saw the ugliness of it. Yeah. And and uh, I always say as a Vietnam veteran, probably the best service I gave my country was to teach the public, don't blame the warrior for the war. We just do our jobs. We just do what we're told. And you will notice that those in the subsequent combat actions since then, Beirut, Lebanon, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, they're not vilified when they come home. No, and that's, that's something that I think all the, the veterans of the subsequent wars that happened after Vietnam, um, I think as, a, as veterans, we hold Vietnam vets, we put them on a pedestal because we, we know we've read history, we understand what happened to those guys. You know, I always make it a point to always tell Vietnam vets, you know, thank you for your service and welcome home. Because they never got that, you know, when, when when they were coming back. But the reactions that we got coming back from Iraq were um, directly a result of America as a collective whole realizing the big mistake that they had made and the way that they had treated Vietnam veterans. You and, know, and, I think you I think you, you said know. that very well. Yeah, and Josh, we talked about that. On we episode did. We've two talked and three, about it. Yeah. it is almost that rubber band effect from one Correct. extreme to yep. the other. Correct. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. people like me and graduating two thousand seven. I mean, that's when war became real because we're too young to remember the Gulf War, and then yeah. all of a sudden here we are. Nine eleven happened when I was in middle school. And it changed generation. everything. Yeah. yeah, changed everything. You know, so I think I think a lot of the vets of my generation, Rich's generation. We owe a debt of gratitude towards the Vietnam vets because you know, they got treated like, like shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no freaking butter in that up, you know. And, I, and um, I think some of the sentiment was still there, you know, for some, for some people in American society, where they didn't, they didn't like the culture of the army and all that, or the culture of of, of service and everything. But you know, they really. Vietnam veterans really kind of took the brunt of it, you know, which is, it's sad to talk about, you know, and it's kind of, kind of unfortunate what happened. But I think we realized as, as a people, we realized the mistake we made, and, you mm -hmm. know, we, we really do. We owe a debt of gratitude to, towards the Vietnam vets. And I just know. want to back things up a little bit and switch gears to you, Rich Jr. So how, so when did you decide that you wanted, or I imagine you grew up in yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, some shoes to fill. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I, I uh, we lived in Wisconsin briefly when I was very young, uh, but then moved to Minnesota, um, as my dad had said. is The second is, worst state in the union. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of years there. Um, no, we had moved to Minnesota, and basically it was just um, the nearest big city to find employment is why we moved from Wisconsin to Minnesota. <laughs> Um, and it, that wasn't Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, we moved to Minnesota when I was, um, I think, uh, kindergarten, first grade age, six. you know, yeah, you six, basically six. Cause I went to kindergarten in Wisconsin, first grade in Minnesota. Um, but you know, we, my parents did a very good job and went without a lot of things to keep us out of the city, out of the inner city, um, in towards the suburbs a little bit. And, and, uh, but you know, I grew up basically in a in a uh, middle to lower middle class household. Yeah, middle class blue household, blue collar yeah, household. Blue collar. Yeah, blue collar household. Um, 
both my parents worked and, and uh, my dad actually spent most of my life uh, working on the road uh, as an engineer. He was all over the country um, most of my um, adolescent years uh, working as an electrical engineer all over the country just to be able to maintain a job and, and keep us out of the city. Mm. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I always, <coughs> I was always raised with, with the, not, not the idea that it's an expectation, but I was always raised with the um, understanding and, and just the respect of, the, of our military history and our family. And I started looking at it as a way to go to college, <laughs> honestly, and because of the same situation, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money and it was, you know, okay, well, you know what, we kept you out of the city. That means there's not this big magical college fund hanging over your head. Um, so it was kind of on us to, to find a way to do that. So my brother and I both actually went for any type of um, ROTC scholarships or anything else we could find. And, and uh, um, at, at the time, uh, when I was senior in high school, I actually went through and got all my paperwork in and went for ROTC scholarships. And, and uh, I, I was actually accepted. Uh, I got my acceptance letter a month after I graduated high school. I was enlisted, delayed enlistment into the Navy at the time. And I got the acceptance letter a month after I graduated that I got awarded a four-year scholarship to Annapolis. Unfortunately, <laughs> I shouldn't say unfortunately, I, that's the wrong word, because um, I had gotten married nine days after I graduated high school to my high school sweetheart. Um, and she was pregnant at the time, uh, which is, is why we got married so quickly. Um, and that's why I said it's not unfortunately, because I have four beautiful children and I love them all. Um, but you cannot be a married cadet or midshipman and go to Annapolis. So my choices were doing all my marriage or turn down the appointment. And I, I turned down the appointment and then because of the fact that I had a pregnant wife and I had no other prospects, I couldn't go to college. I didn't have any money. Um, the military looked better and better and better. And I was looking at the Navy and then I happened to walk into a, a bulk recruiting office and there was a sign on the door for the Navy recruiter that I was dealing with for a delayed enlistment. And he was out. It was closed up. But the Air Force recruiting door was open. And I literally walked two doors down. <laughs> I, this, that's not Come on in, son. I literally I walked two doors down. And, and uh, I said, yeah, I've already taken the ASVAB. I've already done this, 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 and this. And um, my delayed enlistment got basically pushed out. But, um, you know, I'm just looking for opportunities. And what can you do? And they were like, oh, come on in, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I went with the Air Force, which was kind of a break because my family's always been Army, Navy, Army, Navy with some Marines, you know, peppered in. And uh, I was the first one to kind of break that, actually. <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting because <laughs> obviously being Air Force, you get a lot of shit from every other service except the Coast Guard. <laughs> so yeah it's like the only ones we can tease you know um I'm but just, it's sorry to interrupt i'm just curious now if the coast guard is getting a little bit of slack because now you have the space force so they're the new the you know the, yeah the right new kid i know so i wonder what's that, gonna happen. the coast guard the finally has somebody they can pick on <laughs> all the coasties are out there waiting <laughs> just let me see that somebody in that uniform oh my god <laughs> i'm gonna fuck them up <laughs> so uh uh, yeah, so I went Air Force, and, and although I got a lot of shit at the same time, I had so many of my relatives come up to me and say, if I had to do it again, I would have joined the Air Force. They treat their people better. And that's honest, God's honest truth. They do. So. Quick, quick thing here, just from my experience in the military, yeah, I cannot tell you how many times 
me and my army brothers were sitting there going, God damn it, I should have joined the fucking Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times that's, that phrase was said. Yep, yep. So for me, my, my parents never served, but my grandpa and grandma were both in the military, uh, Navy, during World War II. And my grandpa, when he called your name, he wanted me to respond and my parent, my mom to respond, yes, sir, or present. Oh, course, wow. Yeah, me being knee-high to a grasshopper, my response was, huh? And he had lay into me every time. What was it like growing up with your dad coming out of the military? I mean, was it a tight Good ship question. or a little um, bit you more know, I, I think that actually, um, so, yes, I, I mean, I can go back as far as my grandfather, I'm as far as comfortably to talk about it, but, you know, my grandfather was kind of a hell, hellraiser when he was younger, <laughs> and he was in that generation, you know, around World War II, which was truly a... Uh, Okay, you messed up. You got yourself in trouble. Go to the military. Go to jail. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so and and you know, but don't get me wrong. I've got the most respect for that man of anybody. As as uh, my dad said earlier, I mean, he had an eighth grade education. He was one of the smartest men I've ever known. Um, but to go through and then uh, growing up and uh, you know, although my dad wasn't there, my mom was an army wife. <laughs> you know, and not that she was you know with the big meter meter stick or anything, but there was always um, just a respect and lines you never crossed. And so it was very easy for me when I went to basic training to absolutely just roll right into it. You know, I had my second thoughts like everybody does after mm -hmm. you're there for the first four days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was very easy for me to roll through it. Um, it, it. We had a very strict household, but a very loving household. And we, we've always had... Uh, um, just an amazing family from a, from a closeness and tight knit group of people the, all the way through cousins and uncles and aunts and everything else, just because they all grew up poor in Chicago, two blocks from each other. And that just kind of rolled out. Um, and it, it, it was just outstanding for me growing up, but then also made it very easy for me to roll through into a military. I have to make one exception. What? You said my dad was never home. I was home every weekend. Well, every second, third weekend. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> Depending on what job I was working yeah, on. Yeah. And I made all your school plays and your sporting yeah, events. Yeah, oh, no, no, yeah. So don't on. get me wrong. He yeah. wasn't gone for 18 years. You yeah. know, no, but it was, uh, he always worked on the road um, as an electrical engineer and like food plants and, and water treatment plants and all this other stuff. But he would always, uh, you know, I'd be, he'd be gone for two weeks to three weeks, come home for a weekend, gone for two weeks, three weeks, come home for a weekend. So, yeah. um, it was, it was uh, still, I mean, something that I can say that I probably had uh, maybe a better childhood experience than a lot of people did, even though it was, it was that way. So, but I, that's testament to my folks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, did you ever try, you said, you, you know, there's that line you don't cross. I mean, did you ever try to step your toe over that? Oh, line? hell no. Hell no. No, to this day. <laughs> no, I'm, no, and I've said this actually, I'm physically a larger man than my dad is. But I still feel like I'm five years old looking up, right. oh, you know, I, I, here, I let me hold that. your hand, you know. Um, and I think everybody's that way. Yeah. I think every, you know, every male is that way. Yeah. Um, you never get around that. I'm, I'm 6'3 and, well, 315, well, 300 pre-COVID, so we'll go with that. And my dad is 5'9", five, 5'10", five, maybe buck 60. Sure. And uh, I, I, I challenged him for alpha twice, <laughs> and I learned my lesson real quick. That was a stupid mistake, and still to this day. <laughs> What's that old Garth Brooks song, right? right? I, I can still hear that screen door slamming the night I called him out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very true. 
So, no. but but we were so close, and Rich and his brother and I all had one thing in common: we were all scared to death of their mother. <laughs> True statement. True statement. No, so um, and and it also you know it, it growing up, I watched my brother actually who um, went into the Navy uh, reserves. So when, and he was a year ahead of me, you know, in high school and growing up. So um, I went to his graduation ceremony up in Great Lakes and you know watched him come back and watched him go into his his uh, duty weekends and stuff like that. So I was I was very much um, following his footsteps into the Navy. But then when I switched and went to the Air Force and I went active duty. Uh, because I had a, uh, a wife and child and, and had that, you know, looking forward to in my life. So it became um, just absolutely a part of who I was, mm-hmm. you know, and still is to this day. Did you, so when you, did you bring, like, when you're looking at going in, did you bring the recruiter home or anything like that to have, talk to your dad? Or because your dad's already been in the service, like, I don't need to do this. No, but um, we always had the understanding that if I was ever going to talk to a recruiter, recruiter about going in, I would make sure he was in the room mm-hmm. to call bullshit, you know, and he did, you know, he did it for my brother. He did it for me. Um, he was always in the room to say, okay, you know, <laughs> realize what you're signing up for and I'll, I'll keep you out of the weeds as mm-hmm. to calling bullshit on, on, um, what they're going to tell you that isn't necessarily true. Rather, rather than, hey, you're going to be an admiral in 30 oh, years. You'll yeah. be fine. You're going to fly that F-15 like Tom Cruise, you know. <laughs> right. So, no, and, and that was always there. You know, that was always there. So, And senior, what, what was your thoughts going through your head when your son decided to join the chair for, I mean, Air Force? <laughs> oh, shit, it's getting real. <laughs> one of my best, for the record, people, listen, I, one of my best friend growing up is is in the Air Force, and I have to give him shit. Okay, possible. fair enough. I was, of course, as a parent, concerned. You want the best and the safest and the most for your children. But I had already seen Rich take on the responsibility of being a husband and being a father and being serious about his life. And I felt that, it, one, it wasn't my place to tell him what he should or shouldn't do. And two, because I knew him, I knew he wouldn't listen to me anyway. <laughs> uh, I was concerned, but at the same time, of course, proud. Very, very proud. And, and told him, whatever you need, I'm there. Whatever I can do to support you, I'm there. So it was, it was pretty straightforward. Yeah, and it worked, you know, and just as history repeats itself, so he said he had to have his parents signed so he could join the military. I had to have mine signed so I could get married. <laughs> so. <laughs> and the day after my wedding, I walked in, and, you know, a lot of family still in the area and still in town, and I, lo- I walked into my parents' house and said, hey, Dad, can I have a beer? He said, what are you asking me for? Ask your wife. <laughs> so I got a question. Question. The Salisbury's. I got a lot of respect for you, and I got a lot of respect for your your family. Thank you. What you've done, and um, I've met a lot of your family. And you 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 people are some of the most stand up people I've ever met in my life. Um, I got a lot of respect for this man sitting here to my right. But um, what do you think the military and just in general and has? benefited for your family do you think the lessons that you learned because everybody you go into the army you go into the air force you go into the navy everybody takes something away from everybody takes something away from absolutely one thing that i can say is you guys have taken all the positives from the military and and serving 
our country. But what do you think from your guys, from both of your perspectives, how it has affected your family in the most profound way? Rich? <laughs> Go ahead. Because <laughs> okay. I'm going to say something totally different. <laughs> how, how has serving affected our family? Yeah, yeah because it's, it's, almost, it's almost like it's, a, it's, it's become some of, it's almost your family identity. You know I mean? Because you guys have such a rich history. I mean, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> you know, it, you guys have such a history. You, you're like your uncle you're the, and, and your brother. You, I've heard all these stories. You, and then you, you actually meet the people. I heard so many stories about you before I actually got to meet you and stuff. You know, and I'm just curious, it, has it become like a fi- family identity? You know? I don't think, no, I don't think that it's a family identity because to do that, you're giving yourself more importance than what, what you deserve. It was one of the things you accomplished in the growth process. I think, at least for us, I think what we did is we learned from it. We learned about ourselves. We learned what we are capable of. We learned how strong we can be if we need to be. And we learned about our family members, for those of us that were married while we were in, we learned the strength of our spouses and our children. For those that weren't married, we learned the strength of our parents and our siblings. And most importantly, for all of us that were in, reinforced was the love that our family had for us. And we came out knowing that it was there waiting for us. I'm absolutely convinced what got me through my military time was knowing the family that I had to go home to. Yeah. So, would you say it's that it's the the common ground that kind of you know of the service that drew you all together a little bit closer from there? That the military drew us closer. Well, I mean, because you had that that common background. No, because point. again, it was just it was one of the steps that we took. I, I don't think our family could have gotten any closer. And honestly, like I said, it was because everyone just grew up poor, dirt <laughs> poor in Chicago within two blocks of each other, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's the way I take it from my generation's viewpoint anyway. <laughs> yeah. If you, look, if you look at any family that's close, be you experiencing the military, be you experiencing going through a business, be you experiencing raising children, going to college, whatever it may be, those are all tasks that you perform because your family was so close and cared so much that they taught you that this is something you can do or something that you want to do or something that you should do, whichever case applies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got three options there. <laughs> yeah. And Rich, where did you go off for basic then? Uh, everybody in the Air Force goes to Lackland Air Force Base, which is uh, and outside of San Antonio, Texas. Okay. So yeah, Air Force Base is out there. Yep. So um, I went in. Um, let's see. I, I graduated high school in 1990. Um, as I said, I got married. Um, we pushed out my delayed enlistment a couple times. Um, just because I had the newborn and everything was trying to be supportive for my wife. And so I actually left in 1991 and went in. Uh, that's why it's funny. I, I hear Josh say, well, people of our age, and it's like, 
dude, you got out three years ago. I got out 25 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid. I tried to. I tried to. Um, So, yeah, I went in 1991. Um, But a lot of of that was guard, which is a little bit bit different. But, yeah, uh, I I know what you're saying. Service is service, brother. Service is service, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I went in 1991, went to Lackland Air Force Base for basic training. At that time, it was a six-week basic. Um, Then I went to uh, what you called AIT, what we call tech school, tech right? School, yeah. So I went to Chanute Air Force Base in Illinois. Um, and I actually went to school for general purpose vehicle mechanics. You know, that was, um, I had my choice. I, I had my choice to do anything I wanted, and that's what I wanted to do. I, that was what my interest was. I was, you know, just kind of a gearhead. Still are. Yep, so, still, are. still are. Growing up for, for myself and maybe others in my age group, there's a general misconception that if you're in the Air Force, you're a pilot. Oh, no. no. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Not at all, actually. So um, I, I went to school for mechanics and did that. Um, and then when you're in uh, your, your tech school, everyone's on an even plane, right? So it's the one time you have in your career in the Air Force to swap assignments, right? So as long as somebody that's of the same rank and you're just <laughs> brand new, uh, you can swap assignments at that point. So... Um, I got my assignment to go to Montana, and that sounded exciting as hell. That would be kind of the same thing as reclassing in the Army? So you would... No, you could actually trade duty assignments. You're not reclassing. You can trade duty assignments. So you still carry the same MOS, but you just... Yeah, so you've got 20 guys going through school at the same time, and you're all the same rank, and everyone gets their duty assignments. It's the one time you can swap, (laughs) right? So I had... At the time, I had put in for all stateside assignments. That's my wish list, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got what I wished for, which was Montana. And I had another guy, um, Dumas was so his last name. So with that, name. they give you a list of, you. please select your top. Yeah, yeah pick your, it's, it's your wish list, right? So I picked and I got a stateside assignment. Well, then I had another guy I was in school with got overseas. And he was like me. He was young, got married real young, had a kid. And his wife was freaking out because he got assigned to Germany. And I kind of liked the idea because growing up, I heard stories. My parents were stationed in Germany after Vietnam. And, and I said, well, this sounds like fun. What the hell? You know, <laughs> let's do this. Um, so I swapped assignments and I took an extended long tour in Germany. Um, so after I got out of Chanute, I went to Germany in November of 91. Um, I went to Sembach Air Base, Germany. Um, and was stationed in a mobile tax unit there, 603rd Air Control Squadron. Um, and that was supposed to be a three-year assignment. So, um, but as you said, everyone flies a plane. No, that's not the case. <laughs> I was a mechanic. I was working on five-ton trucks, deuce and a half, wreckers, mobilizers. <laughs> um, I was a diesel mechanic, basically. So, uh, but when I got there, because we were mobile tax, I ended up getting cross-trained into... Um, a version of now what they call TAC-B. You know, then it was a version of combat control, but it was mobile tax units, so we did all of the security and weapons and training for our own squadron. So um, I spent most of my time doing that, actually. When we got deployed to um, in support of Operation Deny Flight, that's what I was doing. Um, and then um, through that, actually, um, as I mentioned my brother earlier who was in the Navy, um, he had come over at the time uh, to spend some time with me in Germany because my wife was pregnant with our second child and she was having some complications and, and uh, 
basically got sentenced to bed rest or whatever. So um, I called home and was just telling my folks, and I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got duty, and I've got to work, and I, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I mean, she's got problems. I got, an, I got a toddler. And the next morning, my brother called me, and he said, uh, um, yeah, I land um, in 24 hours. You need to pick me up in Frankfurt. <laughs> so what the hell are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I quit my job. I packed my bags. I'm coming over there to take care of your son so you can go to work and do this. So, that, you know, that shows the level of, you know, the, the, the closeness and the tightness there. So he did that, and he came over to Germany and, and uh, spent the time uh, watching my son and taking care of my wife while I was on duty and, and uh, went through about eight weeks of that, which was very cool. Um, got to spend that time. And then while he was uh, over there and my son was born, then my parents actually flew over to Germany and we actually got to go around and see all the places where they actually lived when they were stationed there, you know, 20, 20 years beforehand, which was pretty cool. Um, actually, to the point that uh, we drove up to Frankfurt and went out into the economy where they were stationed at and pulled up so they could point to the house. Mm -hmm. And people came out of the house and were like, oh, excuse us, you know, who are you? And it was the same owners of the house. A Schaffenberg. In a Schaffenberg, <laughs> Germany, yeah. And came out, and, and they were just shocked. And it was the same owners of the house recognized my parents, and we spent the day with them and their family. You know, I had a barbecue. It was awesome. So, you know, it was cool. I mean, the God, generational. This is so much fun. No, that, that, it was very cool. I mean, that generational switch, and, you know, the 20 years later, you see the same people, you know. It was, it was very cool. I just want to roll things back because I've, I've only have two friends that have been in the Air Force but never really talked about basic for them. What is basic like in the Air Force? Because I've heard bias stories from people out of the, in particular my sister and brother-in-law who are in the Marine Corps. I think in any, if, if I may interrupt, in, yeah, in any service, I think it has a lot to do with the time frame, yes, the location, yes, and the mindset of the instructors. If these are instructors that are just back from a combat assignment, they're going to be more rigid. If you're in a location that's cold, you're going to freeze. <laughs> and, and the time frame, is, is there combat mm -hmm. or, or conflict going on somewhere in the world that American troops are involved in? All of that has an effect. I was in San but I'm sorry. I, didn't I was in San Antonio in July. It sucked. <laughs> so now, 72 and blue You weren't skies. cold. Nice breeze uh, off the lake. Uh, <laughs> no, um, actually, so I had two guys in my basic training squadron or base training flight i should say uh that were prior military army and if you're prior military army you're not required to go through basic again if you're going to the air force right but they volunteered to do it and it was very interesting um so i think out of everybody because i took a little bit of a lag before i joined there was those two and then me i was the third oldest out of everybody i was like the old man at 19 um but both of them said that um, they said the Army basic training from a physical standpoint was much harder. They said, but from the mental aspect, the Air Force basic training played way more games with you. Where with the Army basic training, you knew it, you knew what the expectation was. The Air Force basic training, you didn't quite know because they played so many more head games, mm -hmm. you know, to, to as a way of weeding you out, I guess. Did they hit you? Did they hit you? 
Um, I mean, my drill sergeants were free, and they wouldn't hesitate to freaking knock you in the next week. No, uh, well, I, I don't know <clears> if you. Th- there was, they, they, they wouldn't necessarily. They can't do that anymore. Well, right? no, they wouldn't necessarily hit you. Um, but they there was some very good accuracy with trash cans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they turtle fuck you too. Yeah. Take your Kevlar and bounce it off. The oh, head, campaign you know. hats. Yeah, campaign would leave hats, you a yeah. good dent in the forehead. You know, I, 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 I still remember we had the. Uh, um, my my drill instructor was from uh, Hawaii. He was big Samoan, <laughs> just a, this big monster of a guy, and everyone was just scared to death of him <laughs> because he would literally come through at like two in the morning, and if he saw your rack or saw your your uh, <laughs> you open up your 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 wall locker, foot locker, and see something out of whack, and he would just grab the head of your bed and lift it about six feet in the air and then drop it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, wake up everybody and scare the shit out of everybody. But yeah, no, time to get up. <laughs> that, that, that was the biggest thing. And, and even and then when I went to uh, tech school, actually, I had five people that were switched over from the army into the air force and were just going through the tech school part. And they said the same thing. They said the exact same thing. Um, uh, that uh, the air force just plays a lot more games. Mm-hmm. You know, as a way to try and weed you out. They play the head games more. Uh, the physical part is there. But it's not as extreme. So one question I got is for the Air Force is we were always under the impression that um, in order to be in the Air Force, you were a lot smarter than everybody else. I agree. We were told the same yeah, thing. Because the Air Force was always like the, that was always the smart guys, you know. And um, it's weird because, you know, I've talked to guys who've been in the Navy and the Marine Corps, and they always said the same thing, too. They were always like, yeah, that's where all the... Yeah, that's where all the smart guys go. Cause, and I guess the Air Force re- requirements to get into the Air Force, it is one of the more difficult branches of the from service. From an academic From an academic perspective, yeah. It's it's just, it's, but it's the amazing thing is, is if you look at the technology with the Navy, yeah, the, Navy's the submarine insane. technicians yeah. and so on with all the electronics now, this is, this is right up big, there. Like I don't know. Bottom how line, it, it all comes down to your ASVAB score, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I scored really yeah. high on my ASVAB. So did but, I. You know, I chose to go the the, the route that I went. You know, yeah. but they always said, you know, like everybody, you know, even the NCOs when I was just a little crunchy, they were like, you know, this isn't the Air Force. You know, you're not freaking some smart guy. <laughs> you know, you're a knuckle dragger like the rest of us all. You know, go like candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we, it was always the the Air Force was where kind of like the the smart people always went. You know, and it's weird too because like getting back to your thing about pilots. You know, I had the same impression. That only anybody who went into the Air Force was old, was always going to be a pilot. But then you look at it, you know, and it's like. You know, they got their, they got all their technicians, they got their support, oh, yeah. and they got their logistic guys, and just like the army, the you know, the Marine Corps dude. I've got here. a cousin who actually, uh, yeah, he's younger than me, but he uh, went into the Air Force, and um, he actually went in. He had like an associate's degree and some, I, I think, like education or something. But he had actually gone in um, just to, to try and find a path in life, you know. And and he actually, I think he did like twelve years active. Uh, 12 or 14. 12 yeah. or 14, JJ, yeah, yeah. Josh. He, he did like 12 or 14 years, and uh, he actually went in, and very smart guy, you know, very very articulate, very intelligent. He actually went in um, under a guaranteed contract, this is back when you could get a guaranteed contract, for air traffic control. But that was right when Katrina hit, and his school got wiped out. Mm-hmm. And he actually sat on hold and had to 
I mean, basically go and try and help survivors. And yeah, Katrina. they were doing they were doing rescue efforts down there in the New Orleans area. Yeah, trying to get his school because they said, "Well, we have to retrain you." He's like, "No, nah, fuck you! I I got a guarantee." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so he went through all of the rescue efforts until he got that. But then he went in and and uh, he had a he had a great career going. Actually, I mean, he he. Uh, went air traffic control so he had his faa you know card to to be an air traffic controller which is huge i mean i think it, i i think it basically became the highest reenlistment bonus you could get in the air force uh at that point crazy yeah and he went through and he and he, you know he deployed and he, he went to afghanistan he did all this other stuff but it was all based around uh flight line but he was right in the middle of the shit you know and came back and and then got read he was back overseas in belgium and england and all this other stuff and unfortunately, what he did is, he, I think that him and I had a similar experience. As once he came off active duty and came into the reserves, it just wasn't the same. And it wasn't something he could gel with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he just, nah, yeah, it's not the same. It's not, not my me. jam, dude. Yeah, yeah it's not just not jam. for me. You know, it's just because it's very different. And, and I think that's changed over the years because when I got off active duty and went to reserves, um, you know, it, I think it was the laws at the time where, where, um, you know, if you could find a civilian contractor to do it for cheaper, then they had to get the contract kind of thing. So when you went to your reserve, you know, duty weekends, it was you basically sat and did inventory because all of the actual work was being done by civilians during the week. <laughs> you know, from a from a mechanic perspective, right? Mm-hmm. All the vehicles, all of the equipment, everything else was being worked on during the week by civilians. So we just went in and inventoried shit. Was there any animosity so, on your side? You know, with no, actually, I I didn't have any. I basically backed off and went uh, inactive. I went inactive ready reserve. I went IRR because I was like, eh. after a while, I realized this isn't me. I'm either going to go back. Jam, dude. I'm either going back to act. I'm either going back active or you know I'm just going to sit on IRR. Mm-hmm. But. Um, you know, there was guys in the reserves that I really liked, and you know they'd been doing this and, and running that career field, and I have a lot of respect for them. But it just wasn't me. After I knew a lot of guys, um, I could probably count them on one hand, but um, they would get out of the the Army National Guard and they would they would switch over to the Air Guard. Yeah. You know, and then they'd come back and gloat about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're like, "Oh, dude, it's so awesome!" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, prick. Yeah, I gotta go do a road march. Get out of here. Get champagne and caviar. Yeah, in my yeah, yeah. The lifestyles of the rich and the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, it's true. They, all the smart guys do go to the Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> and Rich, for you, when you, you have two sons that signed up for the military, I mean, did you give them any advice or here's some things to expect going in? There wasn't details that I could give them because it was 20 years later. You know, times were different. Um, What I did tell him once again was keep your head down. Mm -hmm. Don't draw attention to yourself and uh, behave yourself. I think that's a pretty common thing, though. Go volunteer for anything. I remember my uncle. My uncle was a Vietnam vet, and he he, he was infantry, and he did some pretty crazy stuff over in Vietnam, but... I remember when I first joined into the army, he called me up and he was, "Listen here, you hayseed. I'm just gonna tell you one thing: don't bring attention to yourself." Yeah, they want they ask for volunteers. Keep your fucking hand down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on, Uncle Ron. You know, and, and, but it's, it was actually turned out to be pretty sage advice. You know, he knew what he was oh, talking yeah. about. You know, oh yeah. And he just said, "Listen to, listen to, listen to. You'll be able to identify the NCOs who you know who to listen to, and you'll know the guys who not to listen to. You'll know it right off the bat, you know." And I think that was probably the smartest, one of the smartest things that he told me, you know, because mm-hmm. you, 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 right off the bat, you can tell the guys who freaking 
yeah, you're a tigwit. You're an idiot. I'm not going <laughs> to listen to you. You identify the guys who you know who you need to you need to listen to. You know. Unfortunately, I stood out. You stood out. I stood out. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget because I I did listen to the advice. Right, I just tried to stay in the back of the room, keep my head down. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll never forget. I was in basic training and and uh, they're they're assigning right duties additional duties to everybody else. And I remember getting called out, you know, Aaron Salisbury, stand up, <laughs> stood up, you know, we're all, everyone's sitting, you know, in the, in the room, getting mail call and all this other shit. And I got called out. You're the biggest, ugliest son of a bitch in this room. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're latrine queen. <laughs> I was like, what? Was, no, it means you don't got to clean anything. You just got to make sure everybody else does it right. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I, I can take that. I can do that. I can, I can do, do that. that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's scare everybody else into cleaning the shitters, you know. So to back it up again, so after AIT, AIT excuse me, from there, where'd you go? I mean, from there, I had a 19-day leave and then went to Vietnam. And I was in Vietnam from July of 1969 to July of 1970. Where'd you, where, where'd you go in Vietnam? Where, where was it? I was, was assigned. First? I was assigned to the 18th Combat Engineer Brigade. In those days, there was regular engineers and combat engineers. Yeah. Combat engineers yeah. did not get infantry support. We did our own infantry work. Yep, yep. And brigade headquarters was based out of Cameron Bay, and 35th Battle Group, which is what I was a part of, was in Cameron Bay. But when I got there, there was an excess in my MOS. So the but the that's, right. that's the same thing that happened to my uncle. The battle group commander called me into his office, which scared the hell out of me to be in front of an officer that of that rank, and said, "What I do when I'm in a combat zone is I have a duty soldier. He works for me. He says, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you wherever I need you to fill in until we get a permanent replacement." He said, if you do this, I will take care of you when your tour is up. Are you interested? And I didn't know what else to say, so I, I was 18 years old. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. And they had me traveling all over to all of the subordinate units and filling in wherever I was needed. So I was in Phan Thiet, I was in Dong Zung, I was in Dong Batin. Um, I was even in the Trang City for a short time. So did that make it difficult to bond with people? I mean, you were only there for... Do you still have people that you talk to from, from back then? or I mean, There's there guys still guys that I see. I mean, I, I still ended up coming back to Cameron Bay a lot. And, and there was guys there that I was... Because I was formally assigned to the Camo section of Battle Group Headquarters. Okay. So, Which is... So I, I, we did the radio communications okay. and the field wire communications and so on. So there's guys that I knew from there. Um, but it was interesting. It was interesting. And, so and, I imagine if he said, hey, go to point A, you were told what you're going to be doing over there? Or is it just, hey, we need somebody over there, go there? You, a little bit of both. Okay. Find out. Well, sounds like almost like you were a contractor. And, and I mean, I, I, must be honest, <laughs> yeah. I must be honest. I must be honest. The majority of my time was in Cameron Bay. Okay. Um, I was, it, it, to, to a great degree, I was fortunate. To a so great degree, I was fortunate. Here's another question for you. Do you watch Vietnam movies, Vietnam some, War movies? Some. And do you, do you look at them? Like, I, I always see, like, some of the movies here, like, 
yeah, you got that right. You know, in other parts, you're like, you're like <laughs> that's ridiculous. You know, it's, it's like a doctor when they watch doctor shows on TV or a cop when you watch cop yeah. shows. You're, you're like, yeah. you fucking idiots. You're, you're, you're morons. One of the funny parts that's happened now, when you think about it, I was there 50 years ago. Oh. Now... I, if I watch one of the movies, I go, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, so, someone asked me recently, they said, what is the biggest things you came away with from Vietnam? It's a tough question. One, learning that it is very, very possible to get cold at night when it drops down to 90 and put a blanket on because yeah. you're used to 125. Yeah. <laughs> Two, how resilient you can be if you need to be. Three, how lonely you can get. And four, there's nothing you can't do if you want to. Pretty much it. Did you get did you get leave? Did you get, come back to the states? When I, when I when I finished my tour, I had a 48 days leave I was home back in Chicago for about a week week and a half if I remember correctly and I was getting bored was it difficult for you did because I, I had I had leave on my first tour when I when I when I was over there and I got leave halfway through my tour so I got to come home for two weeks and first day I was back I was like I got to get back to Iraq I oh well, for us halfway through our tour we got R&R &R. Okay. so I went to Bangkok Thailand for six right. days yeah. They don't call it Bangkok for nothing. I'm just saying. I've been uh, there. I've been there. My wife's <laughs> listening to the show, fellas. <laughs> Actually, to be honest with you, what was the greatest thing for me when I got to Bangkok? I got a hotel room, and I went into the bathroom, and I flushed the toilet for 30 minutes just to listen to the water. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. What kind of magic is this? <laughs> but... Uh, when I came home, I was in Chicago for about a week, week and a half, and I asked my dad if I could borrow his car. And I drove up to Phillips, Wisconsin, where my mom's family was from, and I was roaming around, and I was in the Phillips Cafe with a friend of mine who had just recently married. He was also a Vietnam vet, uh, Bill Glass. Yeah. Army. And, Army yeah, vet. Army yeah, vet. Yeah. And he was newly married, and he was there with his wife, Gloria. And we were sitting in the booth talking, and I looked up, and down the way in the, in the cafe was a booth full of young girls. And one of them was kind of cute. And I remembered her because she dated my brother for a while. I think I've heard this story. My younger brother. I think I've heard this story. So I went down and I asked her to go out. And she said yes, and we went out that evening. And then I took her home. And the next day, we met at the county fair that was going on in Phillips. And that night, we went down for a bonfire down by the lake. And we were sitting up on the hood of the car, leaning against the windshield. And she was being real quiet. And I said, what are you thinking? And she said, you're, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think I love you. That's our second date. I heard the story. Of the and I said, so what am I going to... What are, gonna yeah. what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And she said, what do you mean, what are we going to do about this? Meaning, am I trying to get in her shorts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Which yes. you were, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a passing thought. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I said, when are we going to get married? And we were married two weeks later. And you guys have been together ever since. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary in September. Congratulations. I think she's going to keep me. Yeah. At home for 19 days and yeah. ends up yeah. meeting and marrying, right? But That's I'm not awesome. sure because she still introduces me as her first husband. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how the rest go. Let, let's, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> no, seriously, though, she is the best thing that ever happened to me. We've been through a lot of turmoil, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, we've went broke three or four times. Uh, I was on the road a lot. We lost a child. Um, but she's the best thing that ever happened to me. Cheers. And awesome. it happened quick. Yeah. Yeah. And we got married on September 11th, which a couple of years later we're going, oh, my gosh, 911, that's the emergency phone number. We didn't realize how much it was going to change when yeah. af with the New York attack amazing, on 911. It's amazing how much things change yeah. after that. Yeah. So, That's crazy. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'm yeah. pretty lucky. It's very cool. That's an awesome story. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is very cool. So. I'm just curious. You know, we were talking about how, and we've talked about before on the show, how Vietnam vets kind of got the shorthand of the stick, and then... Uh, a few episodes ago, talking to a guy who was in the 90s, non-combat, came home on leave, and or when he got out and he came home, they're, you know, hey, where have you been? Oh, I was in Germany in the Army. Oh, okay. So when you came home... I um, came home from Vietnam. Yeah, but when you came that, home on leave... Came home on leave. But we I got was, married on a Friday night at noon on Monday. I got on a plane and went to Germany, because mm -hmm. now I was assigned to Germany. Yeah. I'm just curious, what was the reception like from your friends or family when you came home on leave? I mean, like, hey, well, from Vietnam? Yeah, yeah, just. Oh, my family was very supportive. Yeah, no question. My family was very, very supportive. Uh, the only negative experience I had is when we flew home, we we landed in Fort Lewis, Washington, where we got out of our fatigues and we got a Class A uniform and so on and so forth, and then we all got tickets to our home airport, which for me was O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And when we got off the plane in O'Hare, there was myself and two Marines walking down the fairway, and a bunch of these young, what we used to call hippies. We still call them hippies. Okay. <laughs> came up to us hippie. and asked us. Top knots. What did asked us what did murderers do on vacation? So the two Marines oh, grabbed the guy. That's a brave question. It's the two bold. Marines grabbed the guy and they took him into the bathroom. And I stood out there outside the bathroom, kind of just watching to make sure the police weren't coming. And the next thing you know, this hippie came out. He had been given a extreme haircut, as extreme as they could with a knife, cut all of his hair off. They had taken a, the cardboard toilet paper roll and uncoiled it and wrote compliments USMC and strung it around his neck and pushed him out into the fairway. Well, sounds like Marines. That sounds Perfect. like some Marines would do. Perfect. Whereupon, I applauded. <laughs> <laughs> so but that was the only negative. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I was fortunate because all of my family or all the male members were veterans. And and so I got lots of support. Any of your friends start asking annoying questions like a guy that hosts a podcast? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you got to keep in mind, it was from the time I graduated from high school in June of 67 to January of 69, I was going on the road 
I didn't see any of my high school chums. I really didn't see any of them anymore. Um, matter of fact, I just was in touch with one guy I graduated from high school with recently, and he's a non-vet. So, mm -hmm. um, what year did the draft end? Nineteen. Was it sixty-eight or was it the sixty? It was late sixty-eight, wasn't it? Late sixty-eight. Yeah. Yes. And then late they stopped 68. it because it was just an abject disaster. But right, late yeah. sixty-eight. So, did you know anybody who had graduated before, who had gotten drafted? And were you, were you, were not, was that, was, not, was it really on your mind? Or? Not personally. Um, to be honest, because of my young age when I was in high school, I wasn't close with a lot of people. I suppose, yeah. They didn't want to have a whole lot to do with me. I was, I was a, 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 the kid. You were independent. <laughs> independent. No, I was the kid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and believe me, I mean nothing negative by this. I was a minority in high school. This was the south side of Chicago. My high school was 93% African American. Now, I will also say my best friend throughout high school was an African American gentleman. He's the one I just told you about that yeah. I just was talking with, and he's a non-vet. Um, but during those times in the 60s, racial tension was, was very high. And there was a lot of conflict going on, so there was a lot of separation between the races. And you think you see it now. <laughs> it was much worse then. And, and my high school graduating class was 311. 17 of us were Caucasian. Interesting. So, so there was a lot of separation mm -hmm. and, a, and a lot of hesitancy and a lot of caution with the exception of a few people. My friend Charles Edwards, to this day, I thank him for being my friend. So Was that the same case when you're overseas? You know, I mean, no. today you hear a lot. No, overseas, I never saw any racial tension. There's no, none. It's, it's yeah, never it's, saw any racial tension yeah. because service, you were all in the same boat. Yeah. At least in the freaking enlisted, on the enlisted side, maybe on the I don't yeah. know about officers, but you're you're all in the same side. boat. Yeah, you're all you're you all. Don't, you do not yeah. give a fuck about race. No, you just don't care. not you're, at all. You're all in the same boat. You're all suffering the same. You're exactly all the same shit. Exactly. And you and, know, and my best you, friend and you all bleed the same dad, color. Shane Ebanks out in freaking so. Riverside, California, and still talk to him to this yeah. day. Mm -hmm. It was it was never an issue. At least for me, it wasn't when I was there. Yeah, no. I didn't see it. Um, never was a problem. Yeah, you get the uh, you get the the one off freaking idiot you know, that everybody's just yeah. like, you're a fucking idiot. You know, call him out on it. Call him out on it. That was based more on personality. Well, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Assholes, personality. assholes are going to be assholes, assholes regardless of the reason. Yeah. It doesn't matter what color That's your skin. based on you personality and ability yeah. more than anything else. <laughs> you know, and everybody, everybody. I mean, it was across the board. You know, black, white, and brown, green. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. We all we were all green. Yeah. We were all exactly, green, you know? yeah, exactly. It, it, and anybody who brought that freaking nonsense to the table, you, they were immediately identified and real immediately you're just like, vilified. You're, you're a fucking idiot. You're an idiot. You got no place in yeah. this, yeah, you because know, it's freaking, yeah. You know, exactly. There's no place for it. There's absolutely no place for it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I wish people would realize that now, but you know, whatever. So, we're getting off on the end of the weeds. Yeah, about yeah. No, I, I was just Nuts. curious because you know, sorry. Get, no, being a history sorry. nut, I mean, you you look at the what was going on during JFK and and uh, Johnson. Sure. Camp, 
you can very, go all the way back to the very, Civil War, man. You know, yeah. I mean, this and that, and this is how it is. But I, I'm always curious because nowadays you look at it, and I, I hear my friends and family talking overseas, like, you don't give a shit who they are as long as they're a good person and they have your back. Good to go. Yeah, and that was the case. Mm-hmm. That was the case. What was your What was your day to day like, and what was your job when you were over in Vietnam? Uh, communications, mostly communications, electronics. I say, but it, the, the electronics was so outdated compared to today. I mean, it was mild, low voltage telephone wires and so on. So would would a unit request for somebody to somebody with your MOS and they were having issues with their you know they they've got they've set into a defensive positions and they can't talk you know outpost charlie can't talk to outpost delta over there because freaking our wires just aren't working you'd right you'd go over and you'd provide support to the people that they had that were commo people if they didn't have enough so you'd go in and be like listen here or fuck you'd stick, operate this is what's a radio going on. Yeah. or whatever the case oh, may shit, be shit the knife hands are coming out yeah, yeah. <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> this is what you're going to do goddamn <laughs> oh first heart yeah <laughs> But true electronics, I didn't get into until until uh, after yeah, that's, Vietnam. That's, that's, I, well, I went to Germany and I was a commo chief with a communications with a artillery unit, third of the twenty first artillery. Was an honest John rocket unit, and and uh, I was a commo chief there for four months, and then I was detached from the army and attached to NATO. And I ended up as a security consultant at a nuclear weapons storage site. What was your rank when you got out? I was a buck sergeant on the E6 list when I got out. Okay. So when you when you got out, you used your GI Bill to go to school? No. 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 <laughs> what happened was I was when I was in Germany, it was my enlistment was coming close to being over. I had a wife and a child, our oldest child. Was and your brother, right? my brother, yeah. Your brother, yeah. yeah. And I looked at it, and I said, I don't really have a trade that I can support my family with. So I went and I talked to the, to the battalion recruiter, and I said, what's the longest electronic school I can get? <laughs> and he said, satellite communications. So I re-enlisted for four more years. And we left Germany, and I went to Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, to satellite communication school, which was a 36-week school. That was new technology then. Brand new. The military yeah. was the only one that had it at the time. That was yep. very new technology. Yep. So you were you were you were breaking new ground there, yeah. Well, somebody was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went through the school and I got picked up as an instructor. Immediately picked up as an instructor. Wow. So I was teaching satellite communications at the school. And we were teaching all, all the services. The Army was teaching all the other services, plus foreign national military was coming through the school. And they had me teaching 11 at night to 7 in the morning. It was so busy, they were doing three eight-hour shifts of school. Wow. Because we were teaching math and electronics and uh, basic electricity and, and then specific to satellite communications. And I was teaching 11 at night to 7 in the morning. Now, this is 1972-73 time period. Just on a side note, that's the year I was born. <laughs> so, 72. And yeah, me too. It's all right. You're, you're old. At that time, <laughs> we were living off base. And at that time, 
an E5 over three for pay, I was getting $411 a month. Uh, pretty good paycheck for back then. <laughs> so then we got $105 a month for... So I think they make more than that in BAQ. For, ho yeah. for housing allowance. Yeah, that's not... Oh, we got $105 a month for housing allowance and $44 a month for separate rations because I wasn't eating in the mess hall. So all told, so we, go got, to the we got about 560 bucks a month, all told. With a wife and a kid, even in those days, that was, tight. was tough. Yeah, it was tight. So when I got off of work at 7 o'clock in the morning, I ran home, I changed into civilian clothes, and I was tending bar from 8 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon at a bar across the street from the Mammoth Park racetrack. And I was basically tending bar for, I think it was 75 cents an hour in tips. <laughs> Thank God for alcoholics, right? <laughs> well, what happened was the Mammoth Park racetrack across the street, the jockeys and the exercise boys <laughs> Get all done would come, come over, over there in the morning and have breakfast and beers. Mm -hmm. And in those days, every jockey had to win a race at least once a month or they lost their job. So they would all make agreements on who was going to throw the races so that one guy could <laughs> win once a month. Seriously? And I would listen carefully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I'd call the bookie. And that income is how we survive. It's not illegal now. So yeah. I'm just saying. No. no. Hey, Casey, look up the statute of limitations on this, would you? <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's how we survived. Then in early 73, let me see, it was, I think, April, May, I came up on a levy, which you know. Is Josh is a is a notice of pending reassignment. Pending reassignment. Yep. I came up on the levy to go to Udorn, Thailand, because of my electronics background and the fact that I had a NATO top secret clearance because of what I did in Germany. I came up on levy to go to Udorn, Thailand, and pull communication support for an Air Force guerrilla team that was sneaking yeah, back was and forth into Cambodia. That was you were doing some next level shit there, man. And was, I didn't want to do that. Because if anything happened to me on there, my wife and child would, would not, not get been, survivor's yeah, benefits because it was covert operations, and and uh, I, they would be told that I just went AWOL. So, I'm trying to put in the time. I was just recently I've been reading about Operation Tailwind. In I have no idea, okay. and and specifically about it, you know. Yeah, I know it's called the CIA. Secret I was just War. generally told what what I'd be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to do it. And they said, you have the security clearance, you have the psych profile, and you're due for a reassignment overseas. You're going to do it. So I called up my dad because he had had a heart attack and he was disabled. And my two youngest brothers were still at home and they were basically scrambling on Social Security disability. And I said, Dad, would you mind if I used your heart attack as an excuse to get out of the Army on dependency need for, for you and Mom and the brothers? And he said, no, son, you don't owe anybody anything. You've done enough. So I applied for a hardship discharge due to dependency need, and I was out two months later. Discharged. So... And I had, at option. that time, <laughs> at that time, I had four years, eight months, and 11 days of active duty. Wow. I mean, was there, with the guys that you're with, I mean, did you talk to them, like, say, hey, I'm getting out because of de dependency? Oh, yeah, and like, got great support. Great, yeah. 
That's got great, great support. Anybody? Did you ever meet, talk to anybody, or meet anybody that was going to Cambodia? Cambodia, excuse me. No. That no. Was, or anybody else? Did they? No. From there. No. And so, uh, sorry to interrupt here, nope. Gordon. Uh, so, something that we've kind of talked a lot about on this show is communication back home while overseas, oh, yeah. and we've yeah. we've talked a lot about that with yeah, like with Josh and yeah. stuff. Um, how was how was communication back home while you were in Vietnam? We had Mars radio. Well, letters, of course. Okay. And then we had what was called Mars Radio, military affiliate radio system, where if you were in a a camp that had the capability of phone hookup with the radio, um, you could get on a phone and you'd talk and you could make a call home, but it was linked via radio. So there was a radio station there in Vietnam somewhere and then a radio station in the States. And whenever you were done talking, you had to say over so the guy in Vietnam knew to let go of the mic key so that the guy in the States could press the mic key so that they could talk. Oh, wow. And so it was, hi, Mom, I love you. Over. <laughs> and my mom would go, oh, hi, honey, I love you too. Oh, oh, over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, how was trying to schedule like those, like with the time difference and everything and just the technology, how was trying to schedule those calls like? I don't remember there being any specific issues. There were set time frames when you could do it, but once okay. again, that's 50 years ago. I right, don't remember. yeah. <laughs> Come on, uh, this is yesterday. <laughs> I, I really don't remember. I just remember that it was called the Military Affiliate Radio System. Okay. Thank that's you. crazy. Yeah, mine was in Germany. I mean, mine was... I just, <laughs> I was out in the economy when I was there, and and you were you got your bill from the Bundespost every month, and told you how much you needed to not call home the next month. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I, I I probably spent way too much money when I was over there at the time, um, given what I was going through with the uh, my wife and pregnant and my brother coming over and, and all like that. But uh, you know, it it wasn't bad. You know, mine was just I was. Um, I, because I was married and actually, um, was on an accompanied tour. So I had my family with me, mm -hmm. um, which was a little bizarre for somebody my age, but, um, what, about, what about when you were in Bosnia though? Um, so well, I, the, I just want to back it up before. So, that, so. okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Rich. So when I was deployed, um, I got one call. I had one call and one call only actually. And it was to my dad and he's just walked away from the table. So. Um, so a, a little bit of backstory. So, uh, one of the things that happened was I, I blew out my knee when I was, when I was stationed over there. Right. And it was fluke that I blew out my knee. I was a, I a regular duty station in Germany. Um, and I, I was regular course of a regular day and I blew my knee out and, um, <laughs> I ended up having knee surgery to replace, uh, some ligaments and stuff and, and, and just the standard, oh, shit, you blew out the big three, you know, kind of a thing. And um, three weeks after I had surgery, we got deployed. And our orders came through, and I immediately, I was like, uh, uh, I'm in this big freaking leg immobilizer, and, and I don't, I, do you really, you, you guys, you want me with you, <laughs> you know? And my commander was like, no, fuck you, everybody goes. Boom, period. Um, so we were actually the first convoy to roll through France since Vietnam. Um 
and we took our entire squadron and we actually went um let's see west down spain and or france spain through monte carlo and all you know all the way across the northern border of italy um about a four-day uh convoy with 150 vehicles uh three chocks of 50 vehicles and went all the way through and i mean i was in a knee immobilizer at the time and it was horrible you know <laughs> And I, because I couldn't move, I just had knee surgery and, and all like that. But I was, you know, boom, you're screw you, you're gone. Um, so the one phone call I made when I was deployed actually was 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 home to my dad, and uh, he went ballistic. Right? What the fuck are you doing there? You know, seriously. You know, you shouldn't be there. And and we're gonna, you know, this is bullshit. And it took about three weeks after that. Um, I was there for a few months, and, and uh, it, it took about three weeks after that, and he had gone all the way through, you know, you can you can cuss and swear at Minnesota all you want. <laughs> <laughs> it went all the way to Paul Wellstone's office, actually. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, um, I came back to the, to the squadron at one point and got called into the commander's office, and he wanted to know why he's getting a call from a freaking senator. <laughs> you know, and, and literally he got me pulled out, mm-hmm. you know, and I got sent back to Germany. Um, it, it was, I, I got, I got rotated short. Uh, we were, we were deployed for six months. I got pulled a little bit short of six months and got sent back to Germany. And, um, because of the fact that I never should have gotten sent, you know, I, and, uh, cause on the way down, <laughs> I was a mechanic, right? So on the way down, shit breaks down. You pull over the side of the road, you fix it, you get people back rolling. And on the way down, I was, I was, um, paired up with a, actually a guy I still talk to online, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Sergeant Sackman. And uh, I was the mechanic. He was a ground radio guy. Ground radio. <laughs> little tip of the cap to my dad. Um, but stuff breaks down, and it's like, well, what are we going to do? Well, there's only so much you can tell somebody. So I literally ripped my, my immobilizer brace off my leg and crawled under a five-ton truck, you know, and started pulling wrenches and shit. And I got in trouble for it because it, it crippled me and blew my surgery. Mm-hmm. So uh, by the time we actually got down to Italy and then people deployed north and south and um, screw it. You just do what you got to do, you know, whatever. But then when I finally got the opportunity to call home, you know, uh, four or five, six weeks later, my, you know, I got pulled out and I got sent back. So I, I mean, and, and I'm not complaining about that by any means because I would have rather stay there and done same thing with people I was deployed with. Um, but, uh, it, it worked out a lot better for me because of that. I got pulled back. I went back to Germany. I got to Germany and realized my wife and said, fuck you and took my kids. <laughs> like you're deployed for six months. I ain't staying here by myself. She flew back to the States. So I spent about a month in Germany and then I flew back to the States on leave for, um, you know, a few weeks, you know, got together with my family and my wife and my kids. And, and then we went back to Germany after that. Um, and then actually the, the unit I was with, um, they realized they really liked having that unit down in the Mediterranean area, so they actually were relocating the entire unit. So I had an I had an opportunity to either go re-enlist with a brand new three-year tour and go to Italy, or um, rotate back to the states. And I didn't have enough retainability to come back. And uh, just so happened that my brother, who had come over um, to help me out <laughs> before I got deployed, uh, got diagnosed with MS and. Uh, he had called me up and he's like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what this is and all like that. And um, I basically used that to go back through and just say, you know, I, I, I don't know what the hell's going on. I want to go back to the States. So um, I ended up rotating out about four months early, I guess. I got out about four months early out of my enlistment. And, and 
they had the big downsize at that time under President Clinton. So I, I used the Palace Chase. The Clinton Purge. Yeah, they had the Purge going on, so I was like, hey, you know, fine. That always comes up in almost every single one. <laughs> yeah, well, because I didn't. Yeah. you have to have 12 months retainability to come yep. back to the States. Yeah, I know, and, I know. and I didn't have that. So I was like, okay, well, what if I just blow four months early and just roll to the reserves four months early? Because yeah. back then everything was eight-year enlistments. It was four and four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll blow four months early and get back and, and find out what the hell's going on. Um, so I blew out four months early and came back to the States because uh, my brother had MS and I didn't know what the hell was going on. So, yeah. yeah. So, so right out of AIT, you said you're a diesel mechanic. I was. Yeah. Yeah. So did you go to Germany right out the gate from there? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I had, uh, I had two weeks vacation because it, it's kind of funny. Um, well, not funny. <laughs> um, the other services back then used to give you leave between basic and, and AIT yep. or A school. Still not do. when I was in. They do. They do now. Between basic and AIT, right? Yeah, basic between. Well, it depends. It depends on what your contract is saying. So if you have one site unit training, and if you go OSAT, um, you just go basic training. You do your nine weeks of basic. Well, for infantry, it's nine weeks, and then you go into your your AIT, and so it's 12, 12, 12 or fourteen weeks. I, I forget. I forget the actual number. But you just you roll through it all through one bat. I did one site unit training, but the way I did it was my basic training ended, and I had two weeks before AIT started. My AIT started, so they sent me back home over Christmas break because it was right over Christmas. The way that the timeline worked out, I got to come home, and then I had to go back to Fort Sill. At the time, because I was a, originally I was a thirteen fox. I was a thirteen. I was a fo, which is basically infantry carrying a goddamn radio. Around. Mm-hmm. You know, so when the radios broke, I was calling guys like, hey, "Please help me, oh god, yeah, <laughs> what am I gonna do?" You know, that, but radio is your lifeline. The radio in any branch of the service, um, the radio is your either it's your biggest combat multiplier which you guys have heard us discuss what that means on this podcast before. Um, you either dominate the battlefield or you are calling for people who can dominate the battlefield. You know, So communication is in any type of organization, regardless of what it is. Um, communication in the military is the most critical factor to success. Um, for a mission, for keeping your soldiers safe, for any any aspect that you want to talk about, um, communication is critical. Communication is key. So n- n- I hear this a lot, especially the guys who are who are who had a, a, a combo type MOS, and they tend to downplay it a lot. They're like, "Oh, I was just doing this, that, and the other thing," you know. Well, yeah, you guys are setting up those freaking antennas up on top of the freaking on top of the hill and you're holding onto it that allows that infantry platoon to be able to relay back what's going on back to command, which is four or five hillsides away from it. So they have a critical role in, in, uh, in the battlefield and the spectrum of op- operations. So, you know, Camo is, is, was, was key. So as an FO, you're walking out there and if you can't, relay what your information is back to the fire, you know, the FTC or whatever, you know, you're just basically carrying around a big paperweight, you know. And so while it might have been a freaking 
it, it, you're just doing low voltage stuff, ho hooking up some wires and shit at the same time, you're keeping people alive on that battlefield. So, you know, it, it is a critical job. You know, a lot of the combo guys will just will kind of tend to freaking, yeah, I just did this, you know. At the same time, like infantry always calls everybody pugs. Infantry guys always like, you fucking pug, you fucking pug. You're, you're not infantry, you're a fucking pug. You Which know? is uh, per person of great importance. Or no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Person of great importance, is yeah. that what you said? Yeah, I, I think don't it, think so. I think, <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> you know, they call them remps, rear end motherfucker, you know, a remp or whatever. Remps. Remps. Rear yeah. echelon. Rear echelon motherfuckers. You know, it, was, yeah. it was basically people who weren't getting shot at. You know, infantry likes to likes to pride themselves, you know, we're the best, we're the best. Yeah, everybody else is pugs. They all There's work for elitism us. sets in. Yeah. Elitism mindset gets it. But yeah. really, in the reality, what it comes down to is all those other MOSs are working in conjunction. It is the greatest asset that the U.S. Army, it, really the U.S. military has, mm -hmm. is because we had, we had um, combat, combat controllers, we had combat air controllers assigned to us on our tour, and those guys were the most devastating freaking battlefield uh, combat multiplier out there. They could call in freaking naval gunfire. They could call in close air support. They could call in freaking artillery. You name it. They would stack up freaking F-18s freaking a mile out and ready to drop freaking J-dams on Haji left and right. Yeah, it's so, And it was all because of that radio communication. That There's an had. old expression yeah. that combat doesn't work without combat support. Correct. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, so this, this it, it, it's a silly thing, and while it freaking it builds the spree decor, you know, and, and all the infantry guys are like, oh, you can't do this shit without us, because we got big dicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And combat support, combat but support would look at you and say, yeah, you're a marine wannabe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. They're sitting back there going, whatever. I fucked your girlfriend last night. <laughs> 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 Basically, that's what it is. It, 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 it's a team effort. It's a, it, it's it's one big team. You can't do anything, but communications is the absolute most critical. Mm. It seems to be it. like within the military, MOS to MOS or branch to branch, guys give each other shit. But of the course, second, that's part oh, of it. Yeah, but as soon as some <laughs> schmuck like me who's never served or Casey who talks a lot of shit off air comes into the conversation, it's like you guys will immediately band together. Yeah, you call and now, and now call relate up. that to. Me calling out. No, Minnesota relate that to if you have little brothers or older brothers, you're constantly giving each other shit. Yeah. But anybody outside the family, nobody picks comes up that little finger head. Yeah. But the brothers yeah. band together. Right. No, it's 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 it, it basically is an essential. Essentially, what he's he's bringing it down to is that it is what yeah. it is. You know. No, absolutely. Nobody could pick on my retarded sister, but me. <laughs> you know, I'm dead serious. I have a retarded sister. You know, she has Down syndrome. You know, I pick on her mercilessly. You know, somebody else does it, and God I'm coming across them. the table. <laughs> at you you know, you're going yeah. on the ground. Nobody can do it but me. You know, and it's the same thing. Like the army and the marines, army infantry and marines always get. They go back and you know, we always tell the freaking marine corps, you know, have some crayons, fucker. <laughs> you know, you know, it's the same thing. You know, there is nobody out there who is more freaking appreciative of the United States Marine Corps than the United States Infantry. Yeah, because we know. We know the same, they, they've gone through the same shit we have. Mm -hmm. you know, they're just as tough. I'm glad they're on our fucking side, by the way. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But it's the same thing. You, I would not be able to do my job 
in the in the military in the army is is infantry without those radio guys without those combo guys and i don't care what anybody says when when the infantry guys saw the engineers pulling up you know with all their freaking their tractors and shit we were like yay we don't have to dig anymore yay <laughs> yeah, yeah. we threw away our freaking e-tools and we were like yeah we life is good bro life is good yeah. <laughs> It just it, it just the way it was, you know. I mean, you had a combat air control, the Air Force. It, the one beautiful thing the United States military does now is they incorporate all of that into everything. Complements, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything combined is, arms, the yeah. combined arms yeah. doctrine. Yeah. yeah, and they learned a lot of that from Vietnam. You know, Vietnam taught us mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, the the training that they, that we do nowadays is directly from what we learned in Vietnam. Yeah. Well, the military, the United States military, is famous for training for the previous war. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight, 2020. We run into problems with that as well. Oh, yeah. You know, we run into problems oh, with yeah. that. But then once we figure out what we're doing, there's really nobody that can stand yeah. up against us. Yeah, I think there really isn't. As, again, as a history nut, I think that the biggest example of that would be World War One, where you oh, sure. transition from absolutely trench warfare, swords on, uh, on cavalry charges, to yeah. all of a sudden now we absolutely. have land ships or tanks yeah. as we know now. Yeah, so what is that, this? Um, that, what is this monstrous uh, metal demon coming towards? Yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah. about a learning. <laughs> well, the machine gun. Yeah, yeah, the that. machine gun changed changed warfare. Uh, World War One is an example. Yeah, I mean, here in Maxim. You know, was told by somebody is figure out a way for these Europeans to kill each other more expediently, and you'll become a millionaire. Mm-hmm. And he came up with the the machine gun. The machine gun transformed warfare, and then all of a sudden, what was born out of that was the tank. You know, because they had all these guys just getting slaughtered as they were mm-hmm. trying trying to go across the trenches. But you look at the American Civil War, and that was a precursor to what you were going to see in World War One, the mm-hmm. trench warfare that you saw. You know, in World War in the Civil War, back that so. up farther. You go back to the American Revolutionary War. American Revolution. Revolution. Yeah. yeah, you can. It, yep. it, you yeah. learn every single. Let you, the famous saying is, you always fight the the, the current war from what you learned from the previous mm-hmm. war. You know, so, that, which is what you know, Rich right. Senior was saying. To back things up and get it a little back on the rails. Yeah, here. we got off into the weeds again. We always <laughs> do it. Right. We're Never every single time. Well, this is awesome, man. I appreciate you guys inviting us. I really yeah, do. No, yes, I do too. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Uh, Rich, when you were Rich Junior, or Rich Junior, sorry for listeners that are not on Twitch. When you so you went straight over to Germany, uh, what was your day to day job like? Uh, what was life for like for you over there? You said um, you're living it, off base. You know, yeah, wildly different because of the fact that um, I made the switch uh, uh, over to Air Force, so I, I didn't necessarily have all of the same. Uh, opportunities, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, and talking to my my dad and my mom, I mean, they were stationed there, but it was 20 years before that. So when I actually went over, um, I didn't know what the hell I was walking into. And literally, I didn't have the opportunity to get there before my family. We actually all flew together. So we landed in Frankfurt Airport, and I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just, I, we Did walked. they have somebody there to meet you and all that? Like Kind of. <laughs> we got off the plane. We got shuffled out into a tent, you know, a big long freaking tent. And I'm, we're standing on pallets and boards, and it was raining and freaking muddy yeah, and shit. Yeah. And I get all the way to the end of the tent where I'm about getting pushed out the door, and there's this tall, skinny guy, um, um, Doug Morgan was his name, Sergeant Morgan. And he, uh, he's like, uh, yeah, you ever in Salisbury? And I said, yeah, I'm here to pick you up. Okay. <laughs> told me that two hours ago. No, I had no idea. We just yeah. we just landed, and I got shoved yeah. out to the plane. I got shoved through a tent. I got shoved out the door. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, so, it, you know, it, 
it was pretty disjointed, but at the same time, I mean, it, it, you handle it, you adapt, you just kind of roll with the punches and figure it out. I mean, we he picked us up, he drove us two and a half hours um, down to uh, the area around Sunbach Air Base. We actually hung out with him and his wife and his kids and, and had something to eat, and then he took us on base, and we got a some temporary lodging for a day or two until I could find an apartment. <laughs> find an apartment Did out. You, you, you had to actually find your, your own apartment? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, uh, yeah. Because nowadays you, you go to Germany. Like, everybody's Germany experiences. You've been to Germany. You've been to Germany. I've yeah. been to Germany. Yeah. Um, have you guys been to Germany at all, Casey? Uh, no? It's on so, my list. Yeah. Not, a, not in the military, of course. But yeah. it, it, your Germany, it, it seems like they, again, they learned from <laughs> each iteration as they were going there. Going on because now they don't do stuff like that. Well, you back know? when I mean, my, back, Germany, Dad, correct me if I'm wrong, but back when you were stationed there, I mean that was like the largest U.S. population outside of the continental U.S. Correct. Yeah. I mean back uh, in the '70s, that, I think that was probably yeah. the case. Back yes. in the '70s, it was so huge, but they've yeah. downsized and and shut down so many different little concerns and everything else over there. Um, I actually got it, the opportunity two years ago um, for work. I had to actually fly over to Germany <laughs> and uh, I had a rental car and and I blasted over. To Sembach Air Base, you know, which yeah. I heard had closed, which I wasn't aware of. <laughs> but I, I rolled up, and no, it, one side of the base was open. The flight line was closed. They gave that back to the to the German citizens, uh, German government. But the base side of it was still open. Then I found out after the fact that a lot of people that are transitioning back from Afghanistan actually transitioned through, through Sembach Air Base. Yeah. No, through the yeah. base that I was stationed at. Yeah. You know, so I pulled up in a rental car and I'm just some greasy freaking, you know, old guy. Yeah, yeah. And like, hey, you got to turn around. I was like, yeah. no, I was stationed here like 25 years ago. I'm just, can I take a picture of the sign? Can you take a picture of me standing in front of the baseline? That's okay. You yeah, know? we'll do that. Yeah, yeah. Was, I felt like a dipshit. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's crazy though, because like everybody that I know who was in the service who, who went to Germany absolutely loved it though. Once they were there and they, oh, they, yeah. got, oh, they, yeah. got, they got into Germany. Oh, yeah. And, you yeah. got in, and it's really weird because Germany is a lot like Wisconsin. <laughs> German was kind of, climate wise, climate and wise a lot of bratwurst yeah. involved. Culture and, wise, I mean, they, they, yeah. a lot of a lot of similar similar beer. There. Beer, yeah. Hefeweizen, 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 It's really crazy how easily you transition into German culture, and it's crazy too because around um, a lot of the German bases. It was all based upon American freaking money coming in. <laughs> you know? So, like, you would walk off of a German a German base and go into, and there would be, like, car, car dealerships all over the place. You know, because you know, people who are oh, stationed yeah. there, they would, you know, you, you could just walk off and buy yourself a car and stuff. But um, my experience in Germany was, was great. I love Germany. I was in Hohenfels. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's a nice, nice spot. Nice spot, right outside of Munich. There, you know, so you'd, you'd go to Munich and go to the Hofbrauhaus and all that other stuff. And you know, I I remember Germany as a very fond spot in my military career. You know. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. I like Germany in general, but it was unique for where I was at. A Schaffenberg, um, a lot of the older German people. Did not like the Americans. Oh yeah, there's a lot of there was a lot of well, free and old, the, old the big stuff, reason yeah. was a Schaffenberg was a town that during World War II Patton had pulled up onto the mountains overlooking the town, yeah. and he had sent two of his officers down to request that the town surrender. And when he sent them down. The local people hung those two officers from the church towers. That was not a good thing to do with Patton. So as a result, Patton lined his tanks up, 
and started firing and basically leveled the town and killed a lot of people. Yeah. And, and call them old as a result, for a, yeah. a lot of the local people in the Schaffenberg were not big fans of Americans. It's weird, too, because like you go on the eastern side of Germany, and they viewed Americans as like the greatest thing since pockets on shirts, but they hated Russians. Well, they yeah, absolutely hated the Russians. Yeah, you know? it depends on what area it was, of Germany it was, you were it was, in. It depended yeah. on what area. Yeah, it of depends German on where you were at, yeah. exactly, and what happened during that war. Exactly. As well, yeah. You know? yeah. Crazy and now stuff. you go to Berlin, or or um, any of the bigger cities. Yeah, Munich. Yeah. Munich. Any of the bigger cities. They love the American GIs, especially the younger fellas with the money. Yep. <laughs> you know. So. Especially the ladies of the night. Yes. <laughs> no, I times? no, I I absolutely loved my time in Germany, and I really appreciated the time. I mean, like I said, a couple of years ago, my fo my job afforded me the opportunity to go back there. And yeah. that, was, that was just yeah. such a weird experience because I'm driving down um, – the A6, you know, yeah. or whatever, because Sembach Air... You know, Air... the signs. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, no, Sembach <laughs> Air Base was like yeah. 20 miles north of K-Town, which was like, or miles, clicks, which was like 20 clicks north of Ramstein and Longstuhl Air Base, yeah. uh, hospital area. Everybody's heard of Ramstein, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so to drive through there, and what I remembered from 20 years ago, these barren areas and all like that are just grown to huge pines yeah. and all like that. You don't recognize anything. Um and, but I actually drove out to the uh, little hof that we lived in and drove up to the back side of the apartment building we lived in and took a picture, and I sent it to my ex-wife. She's like, oh, my God, what the hell are you doing in our old apartment? Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Looking up dirt on you, bitch. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, you know? It, 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 no, it, it was such a great experience for me to do that 20 years after when I had you over there doing it 20 years after. You know, it, it's, it's kind of cool to carry that through. That brings up a question. Would you... Would you think about going back to Vietnam? I, I've known, I've seen some documentaries about you Vietnam know, vets. I've, I've thought about question. that. Gone back. That's a great I've, question. I've thought about that, and I've been kind of curious about they say it. It's, they say it's strangely like, there, therapeutic. The, it's almost there is, the, there is one place I definitely would love to see, is, again, is Nha Trang City. Nha Trang was a beautiful, beautiful city. They say Vietnam's a beautiful country. Uh, and beautiful, there are parts of Vietnam that are very beautiful. There are parts just like any... A uh, country that has remote places where this, there isn't much there. This place reminds you know. me of Cleveland. I'm fucked. <laughs> now going back to your going back to your original it's sunny question, in Philadelphia. <laughs> would I would I care to go back to Vietnam? It's a tough question. I don't have anything against it. I guess if it was a case, I'm at the point in my life where I don't want to spend that much money on anything. <laughs> you know, I can tell you. I can tell you right now. I wouldn't. I would. I don't want to go back to Iraq. I oh, I, no. I would go back if it was a case mm -hmm. where it was all taken care of, no costs, no expenses, and it was a week to go visit. And do stuff. like an honor flight type thing. Yeah, yeah. fine. But uh, to, to go and spend a ton of money to go back there, I didn't lose anything there. Yeah, I, you know, the fun areas from when you served, right? The fun I mean, areas. I, 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 I'd, I'd so go back on, to Germany yeah. for a week. I'd love to go back to Italy for a week. Yeah. I'd love to, you know, just to go and just experience things that you didn't get to experience when you were there, when you were when young and broke and, <laughs> you know, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I rush through. I, I don't think I'd go back to Iran. Oh, hell no. I don't think I would go no. back to Iran. I've got a lot of hate in my heart for, for that place, but... Um, yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen, I've often wondered about it because I've seen the documentaries about like 
about fellas going back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back. the honor flight. I, I don't have. Well, didn't they meet up with like guys that they fought against and stuff? Like, More importantly not than that. not having I, yeah, any great desire, I don't have any no. great need. Uh, it's, I guess there's if there. I don't need, have any great there, need yeah. to do it because that's a salient point. Um, and, and part of it again is fifty years. <laughs> fifty years. Yeah. You know, there's a whole lot I don't remember. I like remember. my CPAP machine too much, fucker. No, you make a great point. We were talking about this when we were driving out here uh, tonight even, just, uh, you know, the, 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 the time span, you know, and, and, and how that relates to, you know, how, you know, people cope even you know yeah because there's a lot of yeah. things i don't want to remember well, well hell yeah yeah, yeah absolutely so to dovetail off that sorry to interrupt you yeah i remember uh watching a documentary on vietnam and it was the uh, i think he was with life magazine maybe at the time but he photographed a woman and maybe one or two children and she thought he was a soldier, but he was just there taking photographs or videotaping sure. cases. I've seen what you're talking about. And yeah, he, this is really she, interesting. Yeah. yeah, she throws her throws her kids off the, and then jumps off the cliff herself. And interviewed about it. I mean, this, so this is you know, 30, 40, 50 years later that they're talking to this this videographer about it, and he go, and they asked him, "Would you ever want to go back to Vietnam and see that again?" And he said, "No, because of." That's gonna draw up too much for me. Bring too, too much many bad memories. Back. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Too so, much pain. And you yeah. can tell me go yeah, pound sure. sand. I'm just curious. Have you ever found yourself in that same boat? Like I don't want to go back there because that might draw up some things that you don't want to. I've never relive. thought about it to, that deeply to be to be honest with mm -hmm. you. Um, I've been too busy living life. You know uh, that. Get busy living or get busy dying, right? I refuse yeah. to allow one year to destroy 60 or 70. <laughs> Fucking am. I refuse. <clears throat> Move on. And I'm not saying that making light of the men and women that are battling PTSD and so on. I'm saying this is me. This is how I feel. Mm -hmm. Um... Did I have some tough times when I came back? Yeah. I always said that it was a couple, three years, things were really tough. My wife says, no, 10. <laughs> she remembers the times when she would go to wake me up and I'd jump up. Yeah, what, um, wives are always more freaking knowledgeable about that stuff than we are. Yeah. They really are. Much and they're always right, it, of course. Yeah, they're more yeah. sensitive to it. Uh, but I'm not going to let it destroy me. It, it, it affected things for a while. And to all you folks out there with PTSD, God bless you for doing what you did, and God bless you for continuing to fight. Cheers. You've yeah. got it. You're going to whip this. Hell yeah. My dad used to say, remember zero, the number zero, because it represents nothing, and there's nothing that you can't do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my grandfather yeah, actually. Hang I in mean, there, folks. Yeah, <laughs> growing up as a, as a little little little, just to roll us <laughs> way back to where we started. My my grandfather back when he served in the Navy, he was a fireman, which <coughs> got mentioned right, and he had a couple horrible experiences, and he ended up with a nervous tick, right, where he always rolled his shoulder, and growing up as his grandchild, right, um, the worst thing you could ever do would be to have to ride in the pickup truck 
and sit next to Grandpa because he'd roll that shoulder back and beat the hell out of you all the way from Minnesota With to Wisconsin. Elbow. <laughs> that elbow would roll back and you'd just get the shit kicked out of you, you know. But what you realize is that was actually a nervous tick from a bad experience he had in the Navy where some, some you know, a couple of horrific experiences he had where it was, it was just there, you mm-hmm. know. But it was something he never talked about. He never let on to. He never wanted to even let you know he... He, he never wanted you to even know about it, right? And and, but at the same time, um, while you did, and as you grow grew older and realized the severity of that and realized how how much that can affect you, um, then you just you, you gain that respect and you just let it alone and just leave it alone. And and there's everybody has the ticks, right? I mean, um, I grew up with my father, and I know those little things. I. Um, uh, stupid things growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I knew never to wake him up, never to go into a room and shake him. Nope, nope. Never way to find yourself on the ceiling. Yep, never. Gonna, no, never going to do it. Never going to do it because he's always going to come up blocking or swinging. You know, never surprise him and wake him up. I mean, to this day, um, uh, knew the same thing with my grandfather with the shoulder tick. You know, and uh, uh, Josh, he's got his ticks. I've got my ticks. You know, we've known each other not that long, but very close, and we know the, each other's things. You know, mm-hmm. just let, let that go. You know, it, it is what it is. You know, and we all carry that. You're going to carry it through your whole life. You know, um, and and our families and our friends that that know us and and love us and respect us are are, are going to um, accept that. You know, yeah. and, and it's great. It and really so, is. what you need to do is lean on them. Lean on those loved ones. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they understand, or at least if they don't understand the details, they understand you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when I had friends coming home, you know, I, I, one memory in particular is my, uh, one of my best friends growing up. He had a moment where we were at the grocery store and he turned to me and says, I need to leave. Copy that. Go ahead. Do your thing. I'll finish up here. I'll be cars unlocked. Go ahead. And yeah, it's one of those things. You know, I I've I never pressed the issue. No, you, and and you can't. You yeah. really can't. You know, with him, I might be able to get away with it. It's a sixty forty shot. I'm either going to get punched <laughs> in the mouth or he's going to talk to me. And it's, I don't like. Let's go have a yeah. shot of whiskey and talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> I, I broke my nose twice. I'm not going for number three. <laughs> but for for both of you, when when you're when you're on deployment with Germany, Vietnam, whatever the case may be, did you have downtime? I mean, did they give you days off or was it, or for more, for you particular, was it just go, 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 go the whole time you're there? Oh no, it wasn't go, 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 go. There, there's downtime, but it's not a long period of time. It's maybe a day or mm-hmm. two days, you know, and, and what do you find yourself doing during that time? Were you itching to get back out or were you just like, Oh, thank God I get to, you read, hang out and you drink a beer. Depending on where you were at, you sneak down to the village or into town for some milk and cookies. <laughs> um, whatever that, that, that was presented and was available in the way of distraction, you would try to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, we were fortunate in that we had modern technology that helped. And where the Korea and World War II folks didn't have that modern technology to that degree, 
So, so radios were available. I mean, you've, you've heard of Armed Forces Vietnam. I mean, Robin Williams did a movie mm -hmm. based on, yeah. on him doing that. Um, so you had radio available. Uh, we didn't have television, but, but we had radio. You had the USO come in and do shows. Anybody, you, you got to go see it all? Nobody really, really famous. You had that, you had that, uh, <laughs> didn't you have the, uh, the, uh, x-ray, uh, of Ann Margaret? The, yes. Yeah. That I did do. <laughs> she, was, she was there. She was there. I mean, Ann Margaret. I mean, holy crap. I right? know the name. She was there putting on a show with Bob Hope. And the nice thing about it, she still calls all of us her gentlemen friends. <laughs> but I had a camera with, with infrared capability, x-ray capability. And I took a shot of Ann. She was, when she was on the stage from about... Halfway between, well, say halfway up from her waist down to about her knees. Just tell us it was glorious. X-ray, X-ray shot. I mean, it was Ann Margaret. It was glorious. Of Ann Margaret. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was um, compelling. <laughs> so spank bank yeah. filled. <laughs> yeah. Rich Jr., uh, did, I mean, what was you, your mechanic? So were you working the Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, weekends off, get to go party? or did uh, they... no, Well, I, when I was in Germany, I did. And then when we deployed, I didn't. Um, uh, Damn. Sorry, when I pictures of Man Margaret. <laughs> 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 hey, you know, <laughs> my wife's listening to this, so, you know. <laughs> Honey, I love redheads. <laughs> you can't blame me you know she's got her she's got her uh her uh uh <laughs> celebrity crush i got mine you know so okay um <laughs> so i when i was in germany it, it was a nine to five you know and when we deployed it wasn't um what i remember from when i was deployed is is yeah, where did you deploy sorry we I skipped uh, so we we convoyed all the way back over to um uh Italy, mm -hmm. uh, over by Aviano Air Base, and then we had groups leave there, so uh, north and south. So um, what I remember there on free time was was when we had free time, We, <laughs> I, I remember a group of us that finally got a 48-hour, and we went down to Venice. And uh, it, it, for anybody that's been to Venice, it's just a big grid, right? One block grid squares. And we had a deal where every time we would cross a canal, you'd buy a bottle of wine. Which is great until there's like 10 of you, each with glasses, and we would just rotate around who would buy the bottle of wine. And I mean, we probably crossed 30 or 40 canals. <laughs> I mean, we just bounce well, a canal, somebody buy a bottle of wine, everyone gets a sh basically a shot and a half of wine out of the mm -hmm. bottle, you know. But holy crap, we just got loaded out of our minds. And I remember passing out um, on some cheap, nasty floor of a hotel room that this master sergeant I served with. Uh, and waking up with my ear pierced for some odd damn reason. I don't know why. I had like a, I had like a pirate sword fucking piercing in my ear. That sounds like some hangover shit. Man. Oh, it definitely was. Definitely was. And he was a master. Cool as shit. Joe Hudson, I think it was his. Hud, Joe. Yeah, it was Joe Hudson. Cool as shit. He was an age mechanic. He led that freaking uh, group for our, for our squadron. But <laughs> uh, no, that was, that was the best time I had when we were deployed. I, I honestly believe. 
Oh, beer break? Is that what we're saying? No, no, you're good. Oh, okay. Keep talking. No, I'll, ta- I'll take another one, too. I'll take another one. Yeah. Um, I'm on water, honey. I- <laughs> you're on Gatorade. Camera proof. Um, but, w- but when I was stationed in Germany, I mean, it, w- it was basically a nine to five. Mm-hmm. It really was. I mean, uh, like anybody that was stationed in Germany, I'd, you know, when it wasn't wartime or anything like that. Um, but uh, uh, when we deployed, it was different. You know, then when you're on. You're in Germany from when to when? Uh, 91, and then I left there in 94. And so that's when you got deployed. I got deployed in 93. So That's so weird, because 91 is the year I graduated high school. I graduated in 90. Yeah. <laughs> so. so I didn't join the military until I was in 98. So, I mean, I went that long. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like, Jesus, we're the same age. But our experience is so different. And I know, we're the same age. And, and then I did get, 20. Yeah. You got 20 years and got out two years ago. I got out 25 years ago. <laughs> so... But it's the cool. Air Force is definitely smarter. <laughs> no, it's cool though because I, I I still keep in touch with some with some folks. You know, thank God for social media. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people that I was like really close with th- back then that uh, I wish I could be closer with now. You know, that just kind of you read each other's posts and stalk each other a little bit and hey, you know, happy birthday, happy anniversary. You know, most of the people that I was in service with, we just don't understand this computer thingy yeah right <laughs> we were bo- we were born bc before computers <laughs> we don't understand all and and what's this cell phone yeah whatever just because you still care that. just because you still carry a flip phone don't brag <laughs> they're pain in the ass don't get one i do carry a flip phone he does he won't switch i you know i I, I don't think, want a phone that's smarter than I am. I almost think there's something better <laughs> going that route than there is having a smartphone. Because uh, you guys have heard me say this before. I think social media is a freaking cancer. Sometimes it is. You oh, know, it the, is. But the, the only one good thing about social media, like with uh, like Facebook or freaking you know, Facebook, is the big one. Um, I don't really go on Twitter because Twitter is whatever. It's a freaking. But Twitter's cool thing, full of twits. Correct. <laughs> The cool thing about social media is you can talk to somebody today who's over in California that you have a lot of the same same experiences with, yeah, and yeah, or you can talk to your family that lives in Tennessee or Florida or something like that. Yep. Yeah, that's the cool thing about social media. The rest of it is just freaking garbage. But oh. yeah, except for, there's some pretty cool memes out there. Some, or, some okay. people throw some. You can go on there and yeah. check out a really cool podcast no, called No Stray Left Behind. At yes, Left Behind. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. At Blind Ninja Studios. BlindNinjaStudios.com right. <laughs> and uh, on Twitter at BlindNinjaStudios. Uh, at no, what is no, we it? We keep Casey. talking. I'm all good. What? What? What is it on Twitter? Your thing? At Blind underscore Ninja. Yeah, that one. I, I have a quick question for you. I asked this of all vets, um, and based on their experiences, I have my own response. Gordon and Casey already know this, and anybody who's listening out there knows um, what I say to the answer for this question. But tell me some of of your regrets do you have a regret that pops up into your head a regret about the military yeah about your whole experience is there any regrets that you have my answer is this um well i'll let you answer and then i'll I'll tell you what my answer is i can't think of any i can't think of any it's almost universal across the board uh i regret getting out Getting out? Yeah, probably that. Honestly, I, I have to say, so uh, I mentioned it earlier in that I got out because my brother got sick, and I didn't yeah. know what was going on. These guys don't know right. the story about your brother. You yeah, so, I, so my brother was a, in the Navy. Uh, he was a year older than I was. 
um, came over, helped me out when I was in the military, blah, you know, on and on. But he actually passed away from MS, right? So he called me and said, I just got diagnosed with MS. I don't know what it is, but I woke up, my head shaking like Catherine Hepburn, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's what the, the phone call was. And I didn't know what, I, what that meant, right? Mm -hmm. And he called me in December. Well, I got out in July. So seven months later, I got out. And, and I, when I landed on the airplane in Minneapolis, he was there and he was on a walker, you know, trying to keep walking, you know. And uh, the doctors basically said he only had five years max. He lived another 14, you know. And I had orders to actually go to Kirkland down in New Mexico um, that I bypassed and got out on, under Palace Chase. And I, I honestly think my biggest regret is not staying in. I got out because I didn't know what was going on with family, and, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be there to try and support. But and How many total years were you in? Actually, eight. Okay. So four and four. Yeah. Four active, four reserve. Um, but I, that, that honestly is my biggest regret, is, is I would have stayed in because I honestly would have done what you did, Josh. I, I would have done 20. Mm -hmm. I would have. You know, I, I loved what I did. I loved the military. I, I, I honestly think it is um, one of the best decisions a young person can make. I agree. If they don't know what they want to do, it gives you so much of a foundation to be able to, to move forward. Um, and, you know, it's not for everybody, don't get me wrong, you know, but it, it, it is a positive thing. It's a positive influence in people's lives. It's a positive influence in society. It's a positive influence. And both of you know kids in this, in this, in this, in this age bracket. Yeah, right? yeah. What would you say to, to somebody in your family, like let's say Lene, you're, I'm not sorry, Leandra. You know, if Leandra was to choose, you know, Leandra says, let's say she wants to join the Navy, which is a really smart career choice, by the way. <laughs> um, what would you say to, to to a kid who's who's going in? You know, that's another question I ask a lot of vets, too, is what would you say to somebody? Gordon asked us this, and the first time he interviewed us, or interviewed me mm -hmm. and Lieutenant Mulhern and Early, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Mulhern. Sorry, Corey, you're gonna, he's going to kick me for that one. Later. <laughs> Lieutenant Mulhern. Lieutenant Mulhern. Uh, he was my first PL, so I, he's always going to be Lieutenant. But um, and, and when Penny was here, you know, he asked us this question, but what, what, what would be the advice that you would have for a kid who's considering going into the military? So for a long time, you and I, we, we talked about this, you know, when, when uh, I got out and when um, – nephews and, and cousins and all like that were going back in. It's, we were the biggest proponents. You're for talking to your dad right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. talking to my dad right now. So we were the biggest proponents for people going to the Coast Guard. Right. Right, <laughs> because, no, honestly, because it's, it, and there's nothing, there's no neg negative connotation about any other branch of service, but it was more of the belief of, or maybe the disbelief in some of the conflicts that our military was in, right? Here at the time. At the time, and it's yeah. like, you know what, I would rather see you guard our borders, not everybody else's, you know? Um, guard our interests, not everybody else's. Would, you know, what would be your advice going into a kid? But I think, no in general, uh, regarding military service, if you are looking for focus, if you need to focus yourself on what you want to do with your life, you can make that decision a lot better if you have more life experience. And that's what the military gives you. If it gives you nothing else, it gives you life experience. Because you travel, you see all different kinds of people, you see all different kinds of trades because by the very nature of a military organization, there's various different professions and trades that are supporting each other and working together to make that unit function. You have an opportunity for some training and some education 
Now, having said all of that, it has to be something that you really want to do. If you are at a point where you're standing around saying, I don't know what I want to do, and I don't care, then maybe the service isn't the best for you based on the fact that you don't care. Yep, perfect. You have to care. But if you want focus, if you want opportunity, if you want training, if you want experience at life, that's a, a good way to go. It's a good option. Yep. Perfectly cool. said. Yeah, perfectly said. Rich, do you have any advice for folks listening? Um, <clears throat> Whether they're maybe they're in high school and they're looking to go into it, or kid, maybe a they're... A kid that you don't know who's freaking struggling yeah, or with or maybe that they're early in their career... And maybe they're at that point where I've, I've reached that point in my, in my corporate America of what the fuck am I going to do? Oh, man, I, I got to be honest. I mean, we, as, as early as two and a half years ago, I run into some guy in a bar who happened to still be in and, and you know, you can still go in, <laughs> you know, with your, year, with your age, less your years, and, and you can still qualify. And it's rolling through my head, you know. Um, but you have to, like you said, you have to have the mindset, you have to care. And I, I, uh, I have, I have only one, uh, child left at home, you know, and my older three, um, did not go the military route. They looked at it. wasn't for them necessarily. Um, but I have one left at home and, and what I have consistently looked at all four of them and said is you got four options. You know, you're graduating high school, you got four options, you know, one of them being the military. You know, you can go to college, you can not go to college and pay rent, you can move out, or you can join the military, you know. And military has always been one because I honestly still believe that it is a good option to give you life skills. Exactly. Right. Because of the fact that that um, <clears throat> what I learned, what, what so many of us learned in doing this is things we wouldn't have learned otherwise, which is the basic life skills to be self-sufficient, and take care of yourself and take care of the people around you that you don't get any other place. You know, it, it, and the biggest thing you learn is who you are. Yeah. You yeah. learn about yourself. Yeah. So to push back, not out of disrespect. No, no. I've, I've had people that go in and they're this straight infantry through their career. That doesn't necessarily translate to your a job here. In, in the civilian life, I mean, join the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do do you recommend? Touche, sir. Touche. Like, <laughs> rather than looking thirty seconds ahead of time, let's look at the big picture. I mean, do you do you recommend doing that when you're talking to a recruiter? You know, maybe turn the screws on them a well, little you, bit. You know, you don't have the opportunity. Or I, I shouldn't say that. The opportunity is always there. But the rules have changed a little bit, uh, to my knowledge, and I could be completely wrong on this, but you used to be able to go in based on what your ASVAB score was and what your, you know, your competency was and be able to go in with that track or that, or that guarantee that maybe not be there today. Um, it is my understanding that that part isn't quite there as much as it used to be, um, and I could be wrong. I mean, Josh... God. <laughs> no, I think it's still there in certain respects. Um, I would say more so on the active duty component side. On the active side, yes. Not so much on the National Guard or Reserve side. Yeah. You know, because the National Guard and the Reserve side is very um, 
what's the word I'm looking at? Compartmentalize, you know? So, you know, there's, once you, once you're in a National Guard unit, and it's actually one of the strengths of the, of the National Guard is because they're all members of that community and they all just come together to be part of that National Guard unit. Their mission is different. Yeah, their yeah, mission yeah, is the a little bit different, different yeah. you know, because they, they almost have a dual mission, you know, yeah. and they know that secondary mission, but they're, they're, they always focus on that, on that, you know, and it's, it's one of the strengths of the National Guard and the reserve component as well, you know. Um, the active duty component, I would say, is a great way if, like, one of my daughters was going through it and she decided not to go go into the military. But she didn't know it. She graduated high school. She was a great student. She, you know, she graduated very well. Um, she just didn't know what she wanted to do. She was really struggling. It was really a really difficult choice for her. And, and a, a lot of myself, my wife, and a lot of her army uncles were, you know, well, you could consider doing that, you know, going to the military. And she eventually chose not to. And she's she's gone on to a pretty, you know, fruitful career of what she's chosen to do. You know, but one thing that I think that the active duty component teaches you above all else, above all of the other, you know, branches regarding National Guard or, or reserves is that it really focuses on you as a person, you know. It really teaches you to become, like you said, it, it, it teaches you focus. You know, it, it, it really, you know, I don't like doing this, so I think I want to go this way. That, you wouldn't have learned that unless you had joined, you know, the active duty component, Army, Navy, or whatever, you sure. know. Um, and it, it really kind of brings you into, you know, I know how to be self-sufficient now. You exactly. Know? I know. I know and what it takes. That's what I, what I, I think to be is, a, is a, the a, thing a is self-sufficiency you know? is 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 one of the big benefits. And and you learn about yourself. Correct. I think. It, it, I think it, it. A lot of it is. You know. It doesn't matter if you want to go into underwater basket weaving, for guys like <laughs> you know. But at least you figured out what you want to do. You know. And a lot of people that I've known that have gone into the military, especially the active duty component, whether it's Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, um, Army. is Army, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever, is they went into it. They either figured out, you know, I really like this. I like it. I like the structure. I like the freaking the hierarchy. I like how everything is laid out. I know what my job is. I know what I have to do to do this, and I know what I have to do to succeed. You know, I don't think... There's Every a lot of young people today. There's a lot really of young people that, today you know? who just they're lost. Correct. Yeah. They don't I, know they themselves. They, they don't, don't know, know what it. they want. They don't know who they are. And they don't know how to figure it out. But it goes exactly well, because and it goes those back parameters to what you were aren't just so, saying. No, because those parameters is, aren't so strictly defined. Correct. Correct. It goes yeah. back to what you were saying uh, is within that structure, I know who I am, what I am, what's expected of me. Surprises are kept to a minimum, huh. and, and how I can succeed. It, and it, it I know how I can things, succeed, yeah. and I kind of feel pretty secure because of that. Yeah. And and a lot of young people aren't getting that opportunity outside. Correct. So yeah, I agree. You know, it's a it's a funny thing because you know a lot of young kids these days. They don't know, you know. I mean, they might have been groomed for it, you know. Well, you're going to be become a dentist like your your grandfather and your 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 dad was, you know. And you're going to go on to become a dentist, you know. But I think a, a lot of us out there, you know, 
Um, for me personally, I knew I was going to join the military at some point in my life. I knew it. And it was a foregone conclusion. I had to do it, you know. But a lot of kids these days come out of high school. They don't. They don't really know what they want to do, you know. They, they just, they, they don't have that, you know. Well, I'm the first and, to admit the reason I went in is because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And it, and that's what, that's that's where you come from that perspective where you're saying it teaches you focus, you know, yeah. because it, it did. It, it and you, you see focus, all these you know? other professions close at hand because you're all working together in a, in a unit and sleeping together in the barracks and discussing yeah. with each other, what did you do today? What did you do yeah. today? where how many of you in the civilian world have the opportunity to talk to a cook to see what their job is? Correct. Or to talk to the postmaster or to see cop. what their job yeah. is, or, or the truck officer, driver, yeah. or the mechanic yeah. to see what their job is, where if you're sleeping together, you talk together. If you're working together, sitting in the mess hall talking to each other, and you learn a little bit about a lot of different things, and you go, boy, I like the sounds of that one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. in my generation growing up, it was taught you you go to school, you graduate high school, you go to college, you find your nine to five, you pay your taxes, you get married, have kids, and then you die. So, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's yeah. a, a severe disservice. Yeah. Because I I know kids. Um, I always just tell when I was a first sergeant, you know, I would I would tell these kids, you you don't have yeah a knife hand the shit out of <laughs> don't do stupid shit, you know. First and foremost, don't do stupid shit. That was just too but easy. But you don't you don't have to go to a four year school to be successful. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you really don't. Yeah. Go be a plumber. And there's no talk you about know, trade there, school. Go be a welder. Go go learn how to be a yeah. freaking master carpenter. You know, and you can even relate it to freaking what it, it common world uh, technology has mm-hmm. opened up for us. Go be a podcast host if that's really what you what you want to do. You. There, there's so many more opportunities. You do not have to go to a four-year school in order to be considered, I hate this word too, successful. You know? Correct. You know, you might be a master of freaking underwater basket weaving, like I said before, you know, and you become a master at it and nobody else is better at it. You know, is it a very lucrative career? Who knows? But are you going to be true to yourself and are you going to have focus for yourself going through life, mm-hmm. you know? It being able to freaking figure those things out. And I think that's the one big message that the military really freaking yeah. has as yeah. is it teaches you, you know, that focus and that ability to be able to freaking take care of yourself, you know, which is severely lost on some of the some of the There's not a thing but. wrong with getting to a point in your life that you can say, This is who I am. This is what I am. This is what I can do, yeah. and this is what I have done. And I'm good at it. And I'm good at I'm it. I'm good at it, and I like being good at it. Yeah. And I enjoy what I'm doing. And that's an opportunity you get in the military. Yeah. I mean, how many people do you know? That you're, what do you do? Well, I'm a freaking business manager for so-and-so freaking whatever industry, insert whatever industry. Mm-hmm. Oh, you like doing it? Yeah, not really. It pays the bills. <laughs> you know. So you're going to go through the next freaking 40 years of your life doing something that you don't really... Right. Yeah, I mean, do something that you want to do, man. You know, life is short. Life is short. Grab it by the balls and freaking go for it, you know. And that's another thing that, as the Army else, and teaches nothing you. Nothing else. I mean, go out there and take a chance and learn what you don't want to do. Learn what you don't yeah. want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Grab you know? the initiative, you know. Be brave, you know. 
So I just want to, uh, again, bring it back to Yeah, we got into the weeds again. Sorry, Gordy. No, I do that a lot. I'm sorry. It's my influence. Hey, look. I'll sit here and talk shit all night. Blame the bourbon. I mean, it's... So for for both of you, I mean, coming home, did you guys have any kind of reception, family, When friends, you say coming anything? home, you mean from... When you when you discharge, I know you said... From overseas or yeah, from the service? From the service oh. as a general... Yeah, I know you, you said off air you had seven discharges, correct? Right? Yes. Yes. So in during one of those, <laughs> did did anybody, you know, throw you a party or whatever the case may be? And I mean, did you guys find it difficult to trans just transition excuse me back into the civilian life okay i can speak i got off active duty in 1973 Mm -hmm. and yeah i have a bunch of other discharges from reserves and guard and so on but actual full-time active duty i got off in 73 where a few things were happening one the economy was in recession Two, the military was discharging 10,000 people a month with the same training I had. And three, satellite communications wasn't that active yet. So I went into industrial electronics to get a job and to keep working and was doing drafting. And so, but did, you, did your family like... Yeah, but, he's out. But yeah, it, oh, no. So, so I'm, uh, he ended up teaching see, at Brown Institute as a damn electronics instructor. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up going to Coming Brown out of the military. Teaching electronics. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't really any... any, any but but my family, at that time to me, my family was my wife and my two kids, and they were there with me in the military. We all came home together. My parents and my siblings, of course, welcomed me. But... Huge family, uh, cousins, aunts, uncles, and so on. Nah, life went on. They had their lives. Mm-hmm. So it was more so. like a Thanksgiving conversation. Really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. R- R- Rich Rich Salisbury got out of the military. I think he's going to go be an instructor somewhere now. Yeah. That's what I heard. You know. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Can we get him some tater tot hot dish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see him at the next reunion. Yeah, we'll see yeah. him at the next reunion. Yeah. 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 Junior, uh, what about you? I mean, what was it like for you? No, I I, uh, I remember um, when I when I, uh, I I I talked about it earlier when I when I flew back um, to Germany and then my my wife and kids <laughs> said nope we're going back to the states so I flew back to the states and I remember uh, the night I landed and it, what I remember two things one I remember landing in the airport. Um, and my brother was a little wobbly, you know. Uh, but then we went back to my folks' place, and then I remember everybody showing up. You know, I remember, um, <laughs> I remember um, specifically a few things. Uh, one is my oldest, who was just a little tyke at the time, was sitting there just entertaining everybody. He was entertaining everybody because <laughs> nobody had really seen him since the time he was born. We were gone. We are overseas. I remember him entertaining the hell out of my Uncle Dave, um, just singing his songs and saying the alphabet, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, and then I remember my uh, my other uncle, uh, or my other, <laughs> John, pulling up and falling out of the back of his wife's truck drunker than shit to come and drink with me. And uh, John's a, a severe, serious Navy vet. Uh, so is my Uncle Dave, both Navy vets. Um, and he came out to drink with me, and, and we, had, we had just the most awesome time that night. I mean, that's what I remember is just sitting in the backyard of my parents' house 
and they had this old uh, <laughs> old RV trailer thing parked behind their house. And what what we did was we all sat in there and sat in the backyard and in the driveway just getting drunker than shit all night um, and had a great time, you know, and, and, that, and that's what it was. That, that was my coming home, you know. We sat there for uh, hours and hours and just, you know, hugged on each other and cried on each other and loved each other and that and you know honestly that's what we do now every christmas so (laughs) you know um i i I can say that i i think from what you were talking earlier though is the big oh my god the big emotional right one so one one of the things we did in our family and and that i started was um when i went overseas and when i got deployed right i put together a dog tag ring okay and i actually had my dad's dog tag my uncle dave's dog tag my grandfather's dog tag my brother's dog tag and this is you know um actually i i got his after he passed um and that's what i carried overseas you know i had his dog tag and it meant, meant more oh my god after he passed but i had that when i got deployed you know it was in my pocket and when i got back and then my cousin Josh, JJ deployed. I gave it to him. And he's like, what is this? He didn't even know it existed. And it was my grandfather, his dad, our uncle, his uncle, my dad, my brother. This is our family dog tag ring. You know, this is what everybody got deployed. You know, when we all went to war and we all did our service is what we carried. And I gave it to him. And then he went and he was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I remember the day he walked in because we surprised my dad. Right. It was on Christmas. And there's pictures and it's it's very emotional but i i remember it because nobody told him that my my cousin josh was coming back from iraq right I, excuse me afghanistan he went to afghanistan when he when he was coming back nobody told him and then he just showed up at christmas no actually he was in iraq was it iraq yeah i thought he was afghanistan no he was iraq no you're iraq. right you're right you're right you're right sorry I apologize, Josh, so for surprised, listening. He surprised, surprised you when he came back. No, so he walked into my my folks' place, and my dad saw him and just lost it, you know, because, I mean, he, yeah. he just came back from being deployed to Iraq and just, oh, my God, just grabbed him, and it was yeah, horrible. those reunion videos. I can't Whoa, watch them. Oh, God. Cry. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. And not horrible. It was beautiful, it was actually. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, then when everything calmed down, he walked back over to me, and he handed me the ring. And he had his dog tag attached to it. Yeah, cool, man. You know, right on. And I was like, "No, hold on to it, and you wait, you wait." Yeah. And then when uh, we had a cousin, Crystal, who went, and she was actually in the Navy Seabees, and then she swapped over to the Air Force. See, well, she over was to the, the Air C- Force. But she was in the Seabees in Afghanistan. She was in the Seabees at the time, and before Jesus. she got deployed, um, gave her that key ring from the family. And she, oh my God, you know. And I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, is, is to carry that through. And to look at the people that came before you, and you're taking that with you, and it's in your pocket, you know, yeah. and you got to tie it onto you the whole it's gotta time. It's got to be a lot of weight. <laughs> well, it yeah, is pretty and heavy. Yeah. That that freaking pocket gets real heavy real after time, heavy, yeah. you know. But I thought it was very cool, you know, that we did that for our family, and 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 we keep passing that on, and I hope we keep doing that. Yeah, it'd be pretty honestly, cool. you know, it'd be really cool. So, so. I only got a couple more questions before I turn into a pumpkin here. Uh, and senior, you you mentioned that you didn't use the GI Bill to further your career. Actually, I did. You did, okay. But I I didn't finish. Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, was gonna I didn't, ask I him, didn't did get the opportunity. You... I didn't get the opportunity to finish and get my college degree. That was one of the reasons why I had to work on the road so much. Mm-hmm. Was to compensate for the fact I didn't have a degree, so none of the corporations would let me go in through the normal procedures and path. Um, but I did. I did go for for a, a period of time and. And then I had to quit because my job required I be on the road. Then I'd come back and I'd take a few courses. And I'd end up back out on the road. And uh, uh, I, I never really finished it, though. I got to the point where I just didn't have the time. Uh, and and other things were starting to interest me. I had moved for, far enough along by then in my career, to be honest with you, where I had degreed engineers working for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... It wasn't as important, and I had other things I was developing interests in. So, and (laughs) (laughs) really, you want to go down that road? Yeah, yeah. You want to go down that road? Okay. GI Bill. Oh no! So I I did actually um, when I got out, and um, like I said, I blew out a knee and all like that. I had surgery and all like this. So um, I I went through and kind of chased that down a little bit because my knee was fucked up, Um, and uh, I ended up with a disability rating that allowed me to go to voc rehab, right? So I went to voc rehab. I took the big assessment and they're like, Oh, you should be a computer engineer. Okay. Sounds right. good. Let's do that. I lasted about six months and it was the most brain numbing shit that I had ever experienced. I couldn't be an engineer. I couldn't sit in the classroom. I couldn't do it. Um, but, but I lasted for a while through the school, a good while through the school. And I just, I, I, I fell away. I dropped out. I just, I, I couldn't do it. It didn't interest me. It, it, I had no interest in it. Um, but I tried. Um, but I had the benefit, actually, of growing up. And, and uh, my my dad had, had his own engineering company when I was growing up when I was in high school. And uh, was, was very successful for a while. And, and I tried to work. You know, we were the, like the janitors. We cleaned the bathrooms and shit. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but after I got out of the military... Um, I worked automotive stuff and mechanical stuff, and and uh, I actually w- did very well in that in that career field, in in to the point where um, I advanced knowledge wise uh, well beyond diesel mechanics, and uh, we ended up buying uh, service station, and service automotive station. repair center. Yeah, we, we we owned a precision tune franchise. Right. You know, we, we had that for a while. And then when I got out of that, uh, just because it's a scam and you spend, give all your money back to the corporate franchise owner. Anyway. <laughs> um, no, he, he had called me up and he was like, hey, uh, he's, he was working uh, uh, in the oil and gas industry at the time. And he's like, hey, he's, you know, I got an opening over here and, and you can do this. You know, you, you've already done it. You did it for me. You did it supporting when you were younger. You did this and this. You know, we got an opportunity over here. Do you want to come take a look at it? And he he sucked me into the engineering field in oil and gas uh, because of the fact that I had all of the knowledge that I got from the military. And it's what it was. It was all the knowledge I got from the military. And the school I went to in the military taught me all the basics I needed to know to where I could go in and get through the interview and get a job um, as a instrumentation electrical designer basically you know um doing in the engineering field and and from there i've kind of taken off and and done really well for myself but it it was amazing the basis i had from the school i had from the military that gave me the rock bottom what i needed plus the bullshit 
<laughs> well, it was yeah. the same. Plus the thing. bullshit to get through the interview, right? Because right. I'm it American. It was the son same thing when yeah. I got out in '73. So. Like I said, there were so many guys being discharged yeah. with training, plus yeah. a recession going on. But the electronic schooling and education that I had gotten allowed me to go into industrial electronics. Mm-hmm. And I started out doing drafting and design, and then I'm doing engineering, yeah. then I'm doing project management, yeah. and traveling all over the world. I ended yep. up doing work in Puerto Rico and Mexico and most every state in the union. Yeah. So And don't let him fool you, he actually did the original sat-nav package for the SR-71. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's what's the end? Maybe not, that? maybe maybe not individually, but as he he was part of it. Yeah. Well, it's decommissioned now, so you can talk about it, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll turn the mics awesome. off. And then <laughs> that one. But thank you both for taking time out of your day to come down and talk with us. And Josh and Casey, thank you. It was a great time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you again for everyone that has tuned into the episode tonight. Make sure to stay up to date for future guests and live recordings by following the show on Facebook and Instagram, both at No Story Left Behind Podcast. Don't forget to check out my other show called Rules of the Arena. You can find that also on Facebook and Instagram at Rules of the Arena Podcast. You can find both shows on YouTube. Just search Rules of the Arena Podcast. Come and hang out with us on Twitch during live recordings, twitch.tv forward slash Rules of the Arena. No Story Left Behind and Rules of the Arena are, along with all Blind Ninja Studio originals, are available for download and streaming on blindninjastudios.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Most importantly, if you're a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, uh, connect with the Veteran Crisis Line and reach out to reach out to a caring, qualified responder with the Department of Veteran Affairs. Many of them are veterans themselves. You can call 1-800-273-8255 or text 838-255 to speak with a caring, qualified VA responder 24-7. Thank you, everyone, and we will talk to you next time. Cheers. Thank you.